2024 is the year of podcasts, and we want to let you know about a brand new show that is live right now. Join with me to share the good news about the Worthy of Everything podcast. It's just one of the two hosts, Jaja Lasso. Jaja, you've been working on this podcast in the background. Our team has been very excited as we've been preparing for its launch. How does it feel to know that the episodes finally are out there and we're moving forward every single week? It is so exciting and I am just excited to see where God takes it and I have so much hope that it is going to be an incredible blessing to the listeners. Amen, amen. But as I understand it, this is a show tackling the issues of mental health through the lens of the gospel. Can you share just a little bit more about the heart and the intent and who you're really trying to serve through the Worthy of Everything podcast? So I personally was freed from depression and as I've come to understand my freedom from sin and identity in Christ, I start to recognize all these amazing gifts that God has given us. So yeah, just exploring and hearing awesome testimonies about how to walk out true intimacy with a loving father who pursues his kids. Oh man, sounds like a good time. If you want to check out the show, lovereality.org slash podcasts and look for the Worthy of Everything show. Are we starting the podcast now? Or? Oh, we've been on the podcast, my brother. <laughs> Yo, welcome to the Death to Life podcast. My name is Richard Young, and if it sounds like I just woke up, it's because I just woke up. Because last night, we recorded this mug, and we finished recording it at 1 o'clock in the morning. And then... I call my boy Tyler because he lives in Hawaii and I talked to Morgan and Tyler for a long time. And so by the time I got down to go to sleep, it was three in the morning and I was like, I ain't even going to put the podcast up. I'm not going to do it. And then I got a text and uh, some people were angry. I'm not going to say what they said. Because it wasn't nice. But in, in, they were just like, Rich, I need it. And I said, you know what? I got to give the people what they want. Uh, actually, I, that did, all did happen, but nobody was mad at me. Um, I just want to say, this is, uh, we're going to take a break after this episode, as you know. But man, I love this episode, and it is the longest one, and I don't care, uh, because there's some stuff. I'll be on. I'll be real honest with you. There's some stuff. Who there's some stuff in this episode, um, and I know what you're thinking, but it's not that kind of stuff. It's just some good gospel. It's just like some miracles. Like, if you like, I'm not, uh, if you like miracles, then you're going to enjoy this episode. And uh, I just want to say, uh, it's with my my guy, Russell, the love muscle Palmer, and his wife, Sarah. And uh, now we've, we've never had a podcast like that, quite like this. Um, so I'm, I'm excited for you guys to hear it. Uh if you want some So Are We gear, uh, hit up the Instagram account and go to the website, get some So Are We gear. <sighs> We're still going to be doing the Bible study. 
in the meantime and between time uh, podcast drops. So know that. Uh, and I just want to say thank you. Uh, if you haven't listened to all 48 episodes, this is a good chance in this next month or so to, to catch up. And we're counting on you to do that uh, so that you can hear all these stories. Um, so that that's something you can do in, in, in between time, in the meantime. Uh, but now thank you. If you, if you have been rolling with us, thank you so much. Um, this podcast has been, uh, so much fun for me to, 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 to host and to produce. And it's just been awesome. And yeah, I don't know what else to say except that, uh, I guess it's time for y'all to Buckle up, strap in. Because I love y'all. I appreciate y'all. Yo, Richard, are you about to do the podcast? And may your Holy Spirit be present in your name. Amen. Amen. So, bro, um, this is this is the season finale. I don't know how long I'm going to take it between, but this is the last one. This is number 48, okay? And so just before I came on with you, I'm scrolling through the, the episodes because I'm trying to see... Uh, uh, I, I thought, you know what? There's a chance that Russell is the person I have known the longest. Hey, Sarah, that I've known the longest that that I'm recording an episode with. So I went through it, and it's kind of a tie. I knew Alyssa Valite. I don't know. This is Tyler Morrison's uh, older sister. I knew her in high school, but I didn't ever have a conversation with her. I knew Jonathan Leonardo from high school, but I really never really had a conversation with him. We just played basketball against each other. And then you and Lauren Morrison, now Lauren Fogg, we all went to Union College together in 2002. And I just opened up my 2002-2003 Union College yearbook, and your photo is right there next to my boy Michael Paradise. And I was like, wow, I have known this guy for a minute and admittedly we weren't best friends uh i know exactly where your room was in the dorm i i could picture going to your room right now uh i remember yeah, you i remember you very well from college and i remember just the the sweetheart of a of a person that you've you've always been and i kind of wanted to sometimes I, I let somebody else decide where we're going to start this thing but I have a vivid memory, and this is not too long ago. Like I said, I knew knew you through college. 
we were, you know, I would say we weren't friends, but we weren't best friends or anything. And then when I saw you a few years ago in Chicago, and you had mm-hmm. touched on this uh, when I was he- hearing your testimony later, and I thought that maybe this is a good place to start, is that you were talking about you were having terrible sleep. I think we sat next to each other at this teacher's convention on a bus, and we were going somewhere, and you were like, yeah. bro, man, I've been having terrible sleep. I've been, and you were kind of talking to me about your your life, how it would been going, and, and some of the health issues that you'd been having. So I don't know if you want to go back further than that to talk about like just kind of your background and your walk with God, but talk, I mean, if you want to, feel free, but talk to me about this point in your life where it seemed like your health had started slipping away a little bit. Yeah, I remember sitting on that bus with you and you were like, man, Kase, Kase just won principal of the year. And what do I got to do to be more like Kase? I'm like, Rich, you got to be yourself. <laughs> you <laughs> wow. got to do you. It, <clears throat> um, and I remember speaking some encouragement into you and telling you how awesome I knew you were doing. Um, that moment um, was, I was plagued with severe sleep apnea and I was ignoring Sarah's diagnosis and uh, her uh, constant warnings that I was not breathing at night (laughs) and I would stop breathing um, and my chest would stop rising sometimes for 10 seconds, sometimes up to a minute and she'd take videos of me because I didn't believe her. For the first six years of marriage. And I was like, This was going on for six years. This was going on my whole life. I snored as a kid. Um, I had severely enlarged tonsils. And um, I should have gotten them out as a kid. My mom didn't know any better. But Sarah was was adamant. Um, And I think right around that time is when I finally gave in and did a sleep study test. Um. And I was having apneas. That's where you stop breathing. You get obstructed. For me, it was my enlarged tonsils. I was having apneas 61 times an hour. What? (laughs) So every minute I would stop breathing for 10 seconds to a minute. I was almost not breathing. And let's just say for now, that is terrible for your heart. Terrible for your brain, terrible for your body. Uh, but I was sleeping terribly because it, because of it, because you subconsciously wake up. Well, when when you stop breathing for a really long time, then your brain just jolts yourself awake to to breathe again. You gasp for air, and uh, that was happening sixty one times an hour. Uh, Were you feeling like so, super sluggish on a lot of days? Did you feel rested yeah. or? Or was it just never rested every day? I was also extremely burnt out at mile high, working way too hard, uh, working way too many hours, probably 50, 60 hour weeks. We had to be there at seven for before care and we had to stay late. uh, So your background for for the listener who doesn't know you are, you're, you, uh, you graduated with an education degree or 
How did you get into no, it? No, was, it was good old Mike Young that get, had me go back for that. I graduated with you uh-huh. with my biochemistry degree. And then working at Thunderbird and then Auburn, I knew I had to go into teaching. God was leading me to the kids. And it was Mike Young that said, hey, go back and get that guaranteed ed. Get your money. Get Shout your free out. degree. Shout out to my brother, Mike Young. He just listened. Yes, Mike encouraged me at Auburn. And, and I went back. Okay. And, and that was that was the lottery for me because, I mean, I met Sarah there. But I also found, you know, the career that God was leading me to. Um, so, so yeah, they, education happened later at 2011. Um, and then <clears throat> I taught for, for well, at that time when we were in Chicago, I was at mile high and being overworked mm-hmm. and spread way too thin and waking up 61 times an hour. Mercy, which is terrible for your health and terrible for your heart. <laughs> Sarah, now can, can Sarah hear me? Yes. Okay. Sarah. What did you think about this, and what were you uh, were were you concerned? Were you just like, bro? Like what? Like, so, I have this problem. Before you answer this question, my wife is an amazing nurse, and when we first got married, I would never listen to her. I would only listen to Jason Odenthal, who's also a nurse. But I'm like, ah. I don't know what you're talking about. Let me ask Jason. And I don't know if you treated your wife the same way. I hope you didn't, but I did. Oh yeah, for sure. I did. Yeah. So like, were you stressed out about it? Never take my medical advice ever (laughs) to this day. No, not to this day. Russell. Now, now, (laughs) now that she, yeah, now, now I will. (laughs) He has a hard time taking advice medically from me unless he wants me to prescribe an antibiotic or something like that. Then he'll listen. If I need it, if I need an easy prescription, because he doesn't like going to the doctor at all. So, as you're first married, did you notice something? You noticed this right away, Sarah, that he was sleeping weird, or or did you just notice I can't sleep because he's snoring so loud? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And I was almost done with PA school when we got married, so I had some background into medicine, and I knew immediately when we moved in together that he had sleep apnea. I told him all the time. And Russell, you're I, just like, he nah. Me, like you said, so I'd, I'd take videos of him to be like, look, watch this. This is sleep apnea. And, and then, I'd still brush it like, off. Nah. nah. <laughs> she told me as soon as we moved in together, as soon as we were married. Dag, why do we do these yeah. sorts of things, Russell? There's no real answer, is there? We're dumb. I think the only real answer is pride, maybe. Man alive. Pride or, or ignorance or denial. I, I I was probably exhibiting all three. So, Sarah, were you stressed out about this or were you just like, bro, you might need to look into this? Like, how did you, what were you thinking about I this? I was stressed out about it, but I found that bringing it up wasn't good for our marriage. So, I like, think I think that might be rich when she, which we'll, we'll get into later, but when she first talked to you, um, I think that's what started her fear of me dying. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, he, ha- I saw a lot of unhealthy lifestyle habits and I try to kind of talk to him sometimes about healthy eating, which is how I was raised and try to bring those foods into our home. Um, but it just was kind of a, a point in our marriage that 
we just disagreed on. And so I kind of, after trying to say things a few times and, you know, having little arguments, I, I kind of just, I put the medical stuff out of our marriage mm-hmm. because I knew he wasn't listening and I knew that it was just not getting anywhere. <laughs> I, I know that you weren't eating healthy, Russell, because I follow you on Facebook. <laughs> You saw the and I'm just like, man, Russell is eating like a king, but I don't know how long he can eat like this because you're just yeah. like double fisting cheeseburgers. And you're like, this is the best cheeseburger within 30 mile radius of the Denver Metroplex. <laughs> and I'm just like, that looks delicious. How long can he hold up? Um, oh, man. I was so worried yeah, about so it. So it was my diet and the sleep apnea. That Sarah was so worried about from the get go. Yeah, I told him all the time it was going to catch up to him. So, and I worked in bariatric medicine. My whole job was diet and nutritional counseling and weight loss counseling. <laughs> um, but he wouldn't listen to me. Mercy, I'm going to need to ask you some <laughs> questions after the podcast for myself. But uh, okay. so Russell, like. Talk, walk me through that like you're it seemed like from facebook you were living your best life you were enjoying all this sorts of stuff um and maybe you were and and, it, and maybe but like was there something because from something i had heard you said before you had a strange relationship with food is that accurate yeah it was it started as as food posting i had a lot of people following me and and a lot of people in the denver metro area would go to places just because i had been and and posted about it um and i i i've known that god has always given me contagious passion um where I can share my passion about anything and get people excited and passionate about it. I can, I can spread that, but I was, I was doing it in uh, the, the wrong area because I was probably leading people to eat some super unhealthy stuff. <laughs> I had people following me that had like severe untreated diabetes that were like, where is that? I'm going <laughs> I'm going tomorrow. <laughs> uh, and and um, it, so it started as like, I felt like, oh, Sarah would say you should, or a lot of people would say you should review food or be a food critic. And it started that way. But um, then it, it, without me even realizing it morphed into a food addiction. What does that mean, man? Talk, talk. From your so, perspective, what did that mean for the, you? The addiction, when it slipped from just posting f- about food, it moved into, I was so stressed at work, mm-hmm. filled with so much anxiety all the time that it became my my uh, relief after a stressful day at work. Hmm. So it was a response to stress. Then it was a response to you know, celebration, fellowship, gathering was always centered around food and even when I felt low. But it was mostly driven 
by stress. It was how, I mean, as any addict may, may cope with, with their emotions, um, with whatever substance they need to, uh, get, get through it. Mm -hmm. It, for me, my coping mechanism for stress was, was food. So the term comfort food is like, it was a legit thing for you. If, if you were feeling anxious, you didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, a, a warm cheeseburger makes you feel it calms you down or a milkshake or something like that. That's yeah, kind of what no, you went it was for. Always burgers, burgers or burritos. <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah. The, my comfort food. So in terms of your anxiety and your stress level, did that actually work? Like, were you feeling? Like no, see, I, I, the stress wouldn't go away. And, um, for a few years there working at mile high, um, I came home every night and fell asleep on the couch by 6 PM. Um, I, <clears throat> I tell people that I wasn't the, 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 most present, the best husband. And Sarah is, you know, gracious when she says I was, but Sarah would even ask me in that, in that time period, she would say, how are you ever going to be a dad? Hmm. How are we going to start a family when you're so stressed, you come home and fall asleep. You pass out. I passed out on the couch every night by 6 PM. And, uh, Part of that was because I wasn't sleeping well at night. Right. Part of that was was the the, the stress, also. W without going into too much detail, what was the general stress and anxiety about? Just life as a teacher, or just demands on you? What was so? What was stress? Yeah, more and more demands being added to my plate, uh, without anything being taken off of my plate, and um, difficult parents. And then extremely difficult politics were the three three things I was being plagued with uh, on on a daily basis. Were you angry at these things for being in your life? Did you catch yourself being bitter at like at what was going yes. on and like you were being treated unfairly? Yeah, I was angry. I was bitter. I complained a lot. I griped a lot. Um, woe is me. This isn't fair. Um, and I, I would say it was taking away from my joy and I'm a joyful person and I, I am a passionate person and I felt my passion slipping away. Like it was getting, getting numb. The passion that I feel for life the zest I feel for life and the joy was slowly being sucked away from me. Um, and it was happening right before Sarah's eyes. This is, this is kind of hard to imagine because I've only ever been around you where like who you are is who you are, the passion, the life, the joy, the celebration. I've never been around you. Um, and maybe I saw a little, I think that's when we're sitting in the bus and you were yes. just like, dog, like, 
it's hard out here. And I was like, oh, word, like kind of, you know, tell me a little bit about it. Um, and uh, when when you started talking about, I, I brought this thing up to you because I'd seen you posting it on Facebook about how you were so sad that The Office was going to be off of Netflix because you watch <laughs> it every single night and you explain to me, okay, you, I'm not going to explain. Explain your contraption that you had set up if, uh, <laughs> for, it, uh, just for, for laugh's sake or for people who are listening. Uh, because I thought, I didn't say this to you. I'm glad I didn't. I don't know if I should have or not. But I'm like, yo, this is mad unhealthy like for sleep. <laughs> like this is unhealthy as a mug. How's he doing this? But, but like, it's, I don't know if I looked like at, when, when you were saying it. I'm like, no, bro, this isn't good. But explain that part and just like, because this is this was your this was another relaxation method. I thought it, it, another relaxation and another escape. I I found uh, a quote that said people who rewatch the same shows because when when you <clears throat> and I talked, I was in the midst of watching The Office the entire series, all nine seasons. <laughs> Five times that year. So 45 seasons of The Office that year. Um, Wait, hold up. You watched... <laughs> no, okay, I'm tripping. That, you watched... <laughs> all nine seasons, five times all the way through. In a year? In one year. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and, and, and I read this quote that said... People with extreme anxiety like to rewatch the the same shows over and over again because it feels safe. They know what's coming. They know what's happening. There's no surprises, and it is a stress reliever. So it was part of that. But I had I had a contraption <laughs> attached to my headboard with a gooseneck arm and a phone holder that just levitates right over my face <laughs> did you have blue light glasses at least saying had okay he still does this <laughs> not with the office but he still does this I okay. have it over my face <laughs> sarah when when you're witnessing we're we're not going to talk about right now in this way we're going to talk about how you have self-control and you can do whatever you want and the holy spirit is moving through you but sarah when he was watching the office five times all nine seasons that year, was that alarming to you? <laughs> Were you just like, bro, it's funny, but daggum. Like, what did you <laughs> well, think? Well, he, he doesn't watch it when I'm around. Like, he does it when he's, like, trying to unwind. So he'll, he'll watch it to fall asleep, and then he watches it, like, on his lunch break or something like that. So he, it wasn't getting in the way of our relationship because it, that's not what we were watching at the end of the day together or anything. Okay. But, I did watch it all the way through with him once, and it's a pretty good show. Yeah, it's a good show. It's a good show. Um, but when, about five times but in one it, year it's too much. Too I, much. I actually didn't realize that he had watched it that much. So, yeah, when you were explaining this to me, and we were kind of talking about the stress, the stress of working in, in education, um, this was right in the middle of all of this, and you were medicating by television medicating by food um mm -hmm. is and the news the news what was yeah. that about yeah 
I was addicted to the news also. I, you know, had to watch it every night. That's what you had to endure That's, yeah. with me. The news was too much. Yeah. He had apps on his phone to alert him of all the news stuff that was coming out. And so it was mm-hmm. all day long. He was thinking about politics and the news. Mm-hmm. So is it, it was like, did it make you angrier, but you just wanted to know about it? Did it make you sad? Like, yep. Yes. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Made me angrier. I felt like there was a point in my life where people's opinions on Facebook and Twitter were making me furious and like I hate watched it and hate scrolled it. And like when someone would say something that I thought was so stupid, I would hate it so much, but it would but it would like fuel me because I was just like, oh, these idiots. And I would just keep going and scroll through every comment. Yeah. Oh, man. It was doing nothing for me. But like, yeah, talk to me about that. Why did you go to that? I think I think sometimes people are doing this and they don't know why. Do you did you ever come to a conclusion like, why am I addicted to news right now or addicted to these 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 people on Facebook or or. Yeah. Talk to me about that. I kind of resonated a little bit with you and Jonathan in your quest for for knowledge. But instead of needing to know everything about the Bible, I needed to know everything about politics. My quest for knowledge was so that I could have this many arguments against somebody who maybe had a different viewpoint as me or share all my concerns with somebody who who maybe wasn't aware of what was going on in the world and so it was i i mean the the way you and Jonathan described your quest for knowledge and and keeping all the laws and quest for spiritual knowledge hmm. Man, I I wasn't in my Bible even half as much as I was in the news. That was, it was consuming. Hmm. And you found that it was taking. It was not bringing comfort. It was not bringing peace. It was it was taking from you. But did you know it was yes, taking it from was you? Replacing. It was replacing my joy with anger. And and even when I didn't realize it, Sarah would point it out to me. Like this topic gets you so heated. Why do you care so much? I'm so much happier when I don't watch the news <laughs> or that when I don't know anything about this, like my life is better. And I'm like, <laughs> but you gotta know, man, it was a joy stealer. I, I, sure. I don't want to be uninformed. Like I don't want to be ignorant of what's going on in the world today, but I have made it a point like I don't need to search it out. Like the stuff that's important is going to come across. Like I I didn't know exactly what was going on in Afghanistan. So I called my brother-in-law up like two or three days later. And I'm like, I know that the Taliban is taking back over again. What's going on? And he just kind of explained it to me in like five minutes. And I was like, okay, thanks. But I found like, Doing something like that was much healthier for me than reading seven different articles from three different news sites, 
just so I'm balanced to find out who's angry and if I should be angry with them and who's not angry and should I be with them. And I've just found that. I think that's a healthy way to approach it. Uh, yeah. Cause like, and it, it doesn't, it doesn't open it up to steal your joy. And, and I found that if I'm not looking, I found like, I don't want to see anybody's opinion on Facebook because if I find somebody's opinion out, because Listen, we all believe that the government should be ran in the way that we believe that the government should be ran. Why should I look down at somebody who just doesn't have that same opinion as I do? And if I don't know their opinion, it free it I I'm going to love them no matter what. But there's not that stumbling block in the way of me, you know, speaking life over them if I know something about their politics. I don't want to know their politics. I don't, that's just something that for me, like, I'm not interested. I'm interested because I'm interested in you. I know who you are. I read about you. And um, that's just kind of the way I've looked at it because I think I was probably, probably in the same boat as you, um, probably around 2016 or whenever a lot of this stuff was, was going down. So Mm -hmm. Sarah, how did you, how did you... Did you just compartmentalize it? Were you just like, okay, that's Russell and he's doing his thing. I am happy. Like, I don't like describe to me how you would walk through this yourself. I think so. I mean, I think I just let him be who he wanted to be in in those years. Like, right. Yeah. The main thing she would say is I'm, I'm so much happier when I don't know all this, when I don't... Yeah, I just didn't take the time to care about it myself. I didn't feel like I had to sit there and watch it with him. And, uh, yeah, I just kind of ignored it, I guess. So you're just like, I love that guy, and it looks like he's struggling a little bit, and he's not really listening to me on any of this, so <laughs> good luck, my man. So let him be free. Let him go do what he's going to do. Did you did you have any resentment growing for any of that, or were you you were able to just put that away and just be like, ah, oh, that's my guy. He's he's doing his own. thing? Not really with that kind of stuff. Um, we'll get to a lot of my feelings probably later. But I I I think yeah. I mean, what she expressed to you, Rich, was fear. Yeah, there was fear growing. Not so much. I didn't feel it, resentment. No, I think if if resentment was from anything, it was from his diet. Diet, maybe. So our biggest kind of wedge in our marriage, if you want to call it that, would be our our eating habits and how different they were. And I would resent his choices sometimes, or I'd feel like I had to be the one to control what he was eating. Long before his health started to decline... That was how our whole marriage was, was me trying to figure out how to get him to eat healthier. And to, to save my life. And so like, sometimes she didn't when want I would me see, to die. Yeah, and when I would see those posts that you were talking about, uh-huh. I would feel a little bit resentful or angry that he was doing that all the time. Lord have mercy. So, Russell, <laughs> you're just... Here's the thing is like, we're all doing our best, right? But not all of us have the same information and like we're just either we're doing our best or we're crazy 
Like, Russell, you didn't see two options and pick the one that in your mind was not the greatest for you. Like, you're just like, yeah, I'm, I'm happy. I'm living my life. I do want to know about the news. But um, either... Yeah, like, I, I, I always try to give people a pass and say, man, these people, like, we're, when I was living in deception and I was a terrible husband, I thought I was doing my best. I didn't have the information that I needed. I was still struggling because I didn't. I was ignorant on a lot of different things, um, but I can't say, "Oh, I wasn't doing my best." Um, I just didn't have the understanding, and sadly, but this is true: men die for a lack of understanding. Women die for like when we don't understand what this word says, when we don't understand what Jesus has done, when we don't like we're sh- like it's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah, I don't think you really knew how much all of that was affecting your health. No, I, I, I totally agree with you, Rich. I thought I was doing my best, but it went even further than that. I thought I was doing what I needed to do to keep my head above water. Right. Because I was drowning. Right. So it was doing my best, but doing my best to survive. Right. Um, and... I may I may not have considered health implications. It was it was more like how do I get through one day at a time? Mercy. Did you think like this is just for a season? Did you have a strategy to stop living like this? Did you think oh well my, when my circumstances change then everything will be better and people will start treating me fairly and life will be good again? Or what was your strategy for getting out of this day-to-day, like, life-sucking thing that was going on? I had no strategy. I had no plan. Sarah's plan back in 2017 was that I become a youth pastor. And my siblings actually sat me down at Christmas and had an intervention with me because they saw the life kind of going out of me with, um, with my job. And they said, you need to be a youth pastor. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that was kind of in the back of my head as maybe a solution. Mm -hmm. Um, or maybe I thought what many other people say is where I was working is the most difficult place any teacher has ever worked at. I've heard that from multiple teachers. It was it was difficult, so I thought maybe it's easier somewhere else, but in the back of my head was, well, God, could you transition me into being a youth pastor, and, and would that kind of save me as I'm sinking, hmm. as I'm drowning? Uh, we thought about that four years ago, five years ago, mm-hmm. 2016, 2017, right about that same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sarah was telling me, you need to be a youth pastor, and uh, so was my family. So that was probably my only solution I was thinking, uh, but I just knew something had to change, and Sarah knew something had to change. She, you know, I wasn't being the best husband, but she knew I wouldn't be able to be a present father. Wow. 
So as time goes on, I I don't really know what happened um, with your job or whatever, but somewhere down the line, you guys end up getting pregnant and having uh, a child. Where 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 in the story? How do you, how do we get to where we're going in the story? You you take me. Uh, so it was uh, six weeks after we had gotten back from Uganda on a mission trip, I'd taken 35 people to Kiriandongo. Um, oh, this was my solution. Hmm. I had, I had finally come to my solution. We, both agreed he'd go part-time. we agreed I would go part time. Hmm. So six weeks, cause I was dying. Uh, so six weeks after Uganda, um, you put in your notice. I put in my letter of intent that I would like to go part time. Hmm. Uh, at this moment, you know, Mile High was cutting people left and right, and Kasi said, we need to cut two more people, and I came home to Sarah, and I was like, hey, they won't have to cut a person if I scale back to part-time, and they can cut my benefits, and then I can survive. I can live and take a breath, and so I put on my letter of intent. I would like to go part-time, and everyone thought it was great. My superintendent, my associate superintendent, my principal, my vice principal was like, yes, Russell, you're, you've got weary written on your shirt. Part-time will be great. Everyone loved it. And then a couple weeks later, um, I get called into the front office and blindsided by, you know, hearing – we're cutting all part-time staff um, and you're, you're being cut. And I, you know, they, they, their budget was terrible. Uh, not just paying for debt of the building, but debt of the entire middle school floor collapsing. And then 35 students were leaving. Um, so they said, we're cutting part-time staff and, I was just shocked. I mean, I had just gotten back. It was, I think, four or five weeks after I'd just gotten back from Uganda. Um, which, which, that trip, you know, made history in our Adventist schools. No, nobody has taken middle schoolers um, to Africa or, or on a mission trip like that, you know, usually mission trips, we start in high school and we were trying, Kasi and I were trying to start a movement for taking kids on mission trips, planting that seed in middle school. Wow. Been done I, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I, and I, people called me crazy. Uh, but I, it was, amazing. it was amazing. It was the most incredible experience. And these kids are missionaries for life. Now, every single one of them, want to go back. So that's, I mean, I learned you, you don't have to wait till high school to get them on a mission trip, bring them in middle school. So it, I, I thought, okay, they, they, you know, we've just made history. Mile high loves me. They value me. I've poured my heart and soul in for five years. Um, even though it wasn't my best self, uh, and I was weary, but me as part time will be amazing. But, um, I got cut and then two weeks after that, we found out we were pregnant. Were and you? We were, were supposed you... to wait six months after Africa, getting back from Africa, 
and it was only six weeks. So. Why? Because of malaria or something, or Zika? Yeah, oh, you don't want a Zika baby. <laughs> yeah, so we were surprised, and uh, but then I felt like I had my answer. Like, whoa, God, you knew all along what Sarah was telling me is I couldn't be a dad and work here, and this is my answer. And I felt some peace in the moment that. God knew what he was doing and was placing pieces at just the right place and just the right time. But um, then I would spend all summer applying to 16 schools and uh, getting nothing. And then I How was your courage uh, at this time? Like, how how were your spirits? It was fading, but, but then... My spirits were low, but then I started stocking shelves, and that's when I got to one of the lowest points of my life. I, the only phrase I used to tell John and Floor and Sarah, the only phrase I could think of was, I'm dying inside, because I was not uh, being fu- feeling fulfilled stocking shelves. I, I had no ministry. I had... <clears throat> nothing that was giving me joy, passion in my in my career. And now Sarah's pregnant, a few months pregnant now. And she's like, what are we going to do? You know, because now I was slipping into an even darker place. Your identity was wrapped up in your job. Mm-hmm. And when your job and was... you told me that even just a few weeks ago. And he was uh, tortured. But it was. He was tortured daily. He would tell me, like, ask, why did I get cut? Like, he couldn't, he could not fathom why he was cut with all of the good things he was doing at the school. And that really messed with his self-esteem. You, you know what? Yeah, it was a daily torture. In the natural, I'm not talking about the spiritual, in the natural for a man to lose a job is... One of the toughest thing that that a man can go through, just because of how it's set up in our country and what masculinity says, and I, whatever you believe about it, whatever it is, what it is. When a man loses a job in the natural, um, it's difficult because it your identity as a man is a provider, and. Uh, I think people know on this podcast, I haven't really talked about it too much about me losing a job. Um, But when my brother talked to me one day, since we're talking about my brother, he's like, Richard, did you, did you freak out when you lost your job? And I, I was able to talk to him about it. And if it would have happened two, two years before that, I don't know what I would have been. I would have been in the same place that you were in, I'm sure. Um, Because my identity was wrapped up in a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't, you're a son. It was wrapped up in, I've got to provide. I've got to do this. I've got to. It wasn't like, I'm sitting on daddy's shoulders. He loves me so much. It was, I better figure this thing out. Or Natalie's going to be mad at me, and we're not going to be able to buy a house, and we're not going to be able to blah, 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 all the stuff that us guys think about. 
um, because it's where my identity was. And praise the Lord that that's not where my identity was when I lost my job or else. And and this is just, this isn't about, oh, you were, when you were tripping because of, you know, you were hurting bad. This isn't like, oh, well, I'm different. I had received this revelation that you have like you have received this thing we've we've received God's love in this different way than we've had before and it's it, it all ends up like us, us dying but anyway i'm 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 taking us i don't want to jump too far ahead just to say that in the natural yeah it makes sense that you would be tripping stocking shelves you've got a college degree you know you got two college degrees right and you're <laughs> you got you got a, enough degrees to keep you warm and you're stocking shelves. I'm working at an Amazon warehouse. In the natural, it doesn't look good, uh, but praise the Lord, we don't have to live there anymore. So, you're 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 stocking shelves. It's it's dark. What what happens, dude? Yeah, it's not just. It wasn't just darkness emotionally, but physically. Sarah would come home. And this, she'd come home and I'd be asleep on the couch, but she'd come home and I would be sitting in the dark. Yeah. Like the darkness was over. Like, I know I was on the verge of slipping into depression. I think you were there, Uh, dude. I I don't think you were on the verge. (laughs) (laughs) You were depressed. And it had only been like a week or two that he had been doing this and and this was how he felt. And I, and I... Remember I one night I came to him and I like just started bawling because I saw him sitting in the dark and I never like I never see him like this. It was really disturbing to me and I just started bawling like begging him to quit. I said, "This isn't worth it. We can survive. <laughs> you don't need to make money doing this. Like just quit. You have to quit." Rich, I didn't make it through the 2 weeks of training. This is <laughs> where, this, where was this the place, reason bro? I say the reason I say slipping into depression is because I only stocked shelves for a week and a half, and um, and God stepped in. I, I had my resumes out, like I told you, I had applied for sixteen different schools, and I had my resumes all over online. But can we, hey, before we do into this, can we call this lie out real quick? Like you're a medical professional, Sarah. Mm-hmm. My wife is a medical professional. I was fine when we lost our job. I was even living in my parents' basement, so there was no problem. But in the natural, it feels like whether we want to say it or not, whether it's fair or not, whether it's like when your wife has this thing and she's able to provide, if you're in your feelings and you're like, well, it's not supposed to be this way. I'm supposed to be providing. That will get you to go sit in the dark. And I don't know if that's where you were at, Russell, but there was temptations for me. There was always temptations to be like, oh, Richard, you need to do this and you need to do that. And I got in my feelings a couple times, even understanding truth and understanding my identity. I got in my feelings a few times. And praise the Lord, my wife came over to me and she's like, babe, you're good. Like, you're good. Um, Because, yeah, man, I mean... I don't know if you're resonating with what what I'm saying, Russell, but yeah, well, you know, Sarah has always made so much more money than me, but more than providing monetarily, I 
was plagued with the thought of, I'm going to be a deadbeat dad. Mm -hmm. I would Mm -hmm. say those words. You had a lot more pressure because I was pregnant. Sarah's pregnant and I'm going to have a kid and have no job. Like, and so not necessarily, maybe it was, maybe it was money, but I, you know, Sarah has always made more than me since I'm a teacher, but it was something saying, you got to take care of this kid. You got to provide for the kid because Sarah has provided for us making a lot more than me, but now, oh, you're going to be a dad. You got to. You got to work. You got to have a job. You got to take care of that kid. So it was, it was lies. The lie I would say out loud was, I don't, I'm going to be a deadbeat dad. Mm. That's such a lie. And you're starting to own that identity and be afraid of it. Fear. Yeah. Because it was, I think, November and I still didn't have a job. So I started stocking shelves, but, uh, a week and a half. Yeah, I was now seven months pregnant. But it, and it was yeah, you were seven months. But it was Sarah said I was plagued because every day I would question why did Mile High cut me? But why can I not get a job anywhere else working with young people? And <clears throat> why did this happen? Why why why? I shouldn't have. It was playing the what if game mm-hmm. and and dwelling and circling and circling, being tossed back and forth like a wave in the sea. Sarah, I shouldn't have put on that letter of intent that I wanted to go part time. I did it to myself. I made myself vulnerable. I sabotaged myself. I would tell her that every single night. Uh, I did this to myself instead of trusting God that he was setting things up and that he was on the throne and in control. Yeah, we 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 think we're like the c- CEOs of the corporation of our lives and yeah. we messed up and I would sit in the warehouse and it, sometimes their thoughts would come into my head about how unfair I had been treated in my mind and oh I've been unf- you know this is unfair and mm-hmm. I would have to say this over and over again. At first, I would say, take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus. Meaning like, I can't stop a thought from coming into my head, but I don't have to think it afterwards. Like, I don't have to continue thinking this thought. Like, that thought's not coming from my father who's just like, hey, Richard, you're like, why don't you ruminate on bitterness and unforgiveness and... And just, you know, chill in that little area while you're packing boxes at four in the morning, huh? Why don't you do that? That wasn't God doing that. It was the enemy wanting me to feel sorry for myself because he knows whenever I feel sorry for myself, there's no depth low enough that I that I won't go to. And this is like when Jesus freed us, in many ways, he's freed us from ourselves and for feeling sorry for ourselves and for thinking that our lives yes, are even about ourselves. Yeah, man. Man, Rich, you were you were in a similar place. I didn't know you were at the Amazon warehouse. Yeah, man, I worked. And at- that was after being principal. Yeah, it doesn't sound good, does it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I went, I I felt like I had gone to the lowest oh, of bro. lows in society. 
from teacher, which doesn't make money, but is very res- well respected position, uh, to stocking shelves and and you, I mean, you you've been there, bro, you man, know it's I, and as a man, it it eats at you. Anybody who's listening to this who might work at an Amazon warehouse, it is an honest job, and I would love someday to tell more stories about what happened in that warehouse. I worked there for a half a year. I worked nights, and miracles happened in that warehouse and it was it was awesome it was like praise the lord for every bit of it but yeah man when you when love to hear about it there's not a lot of people working in an amazon warehouse that aren't managers that that have college degrees so people would come up to me and they're like you have a college you're a principal you have a college degree why are you packing boxes right now why didn't you and um yeah man if you let it get to you then you you can start feeling sorry for yourself, but um, yeah, one of these days I'll have to tell more stories about what happened at that in the Amazon warehouse. It, but uh, I mean, we could share stories together <laughs> about this. I mean, six months is a lot longer than I was in it a, year, a week and a half. But I was meeting these people, stocking shelves that were good, hardworking, honest people, and they were like, "Wait, you have multiple <laughs> college degrees? Yeah. What are you doing here?" Yeah, man. <laughs> It could get to you. So she's about to have a baby. Sounds like something like a job came through. I don't, I don't, I really don't know the story. Yeah, what happened? So a week and a half in and God, God steps in. And I, I loved what you said about your self-talk um, and, and quoting scripture and talking to Jesus in that warehouse uh, for that week and a half. Uh, the only thing that got me through uh, was every single breath besides when I was saying to Sarah, I'm dying inside, uh, every single breath while I was stocking Oreos on the shelf was Jeremiah 29, 11. Mm-hmm. I quoted it all day, like literally almost without ceasing mm-hmm. every breath for, I know the plans you have for me, plans to prosper me. And God saw me in <clears throat> that darkness and he pulled me out into the light. Uh, someone, reached out to me at a school in Castle Pines, about 20 minutes from our house. They had seen my resume online. They needed a math and science teacher, and they could hire me immediately. Hmm. And I instantly, I mean, I hadn't even gone through the two-week training period, and I said, peace out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going back to being a teacher. And, uh, And that's... That's uh, where where I'm I'm still working at uh, part time there, and um, cool man. So you guys so ha- much time with the baby, and so much time, so much time with Sully, and no time passed out on the couch <laughs> ever. And like working part time there has been such a blessing. I've been there two years. Next month or, or in November. And the schedule is so easy. I have Mondays off. I I don't do any grading or lesson planning. It's I'm I'm off by three. I'm able to have the whole afternoon and evening with Sully, and it's just been such a blessing that God knew this. This is the cushiest teaching job I've ever heard of. For no teacher has what I have, and I've I've been able to be a better husband and a more present father 
because of it. You know why God did this? Because he loves you, dude. He loves you. It's like some people sometimes they strategize. I'm like, if if I'm more joyful, if I show more joy, then God will give me more stuff. Or if I do this, then God's going to give me this. And they're strategizing for God to bless them. And God doesn't work like that. He just loves us and blesses us. He blesses us when we're when we're tripping. He blesses us when we're not tripping. He blesses. He just. He just. Like, stop trying to figure out a strategy so God blesses you more and understand that he has blessed you and loves you completely and fully. And any good thing and every good thing that comes to you is coming from him and he wants to. Like, he loves you, right? Yes. He just loves me. And he loved me even in that dark place. And he still said, I know the plans I have for you. I'm going to pull you out of this darkness with my love. Because I love you, and I, I'm going to p- prosper you and give you a hope in a future. And Man, I walked into that interview. I knew I had gotten the job even after the interview. And uh, every day for two years, every day since then, I have said that God delivered me out of an Egypt. What was the Egypt? What was it? Was it just the dark, the feeling? What was it? Yeah. That that Egypt of uh, being enslaved to that identity crisis and uh, toiling with... You know, God, what what are you doing with me? Where where do you want me? Where are you going to use me? Uh, and delivering me out of stocking shelves. Like, I have viewed this job every day, even though I'm at a point now where I think that season is over. Um, every day still. Just yesterday, I walked in and I thanked God for delivering me to that job, delivering me out of Egypt. I have viewed this job as the promised land mm-hmm. that he delivered me out of, but I, he delivered me into out of Egypt. But I, I recognize that, that it's, it's for a season. And yeah. he's got another another Jordan sure. for me to cross over. Yeah, because our identity can never be in a job. It can never be, even as a job, even if it was a pastoral job. Because pastors lose their jobs too. And if you lose your job and your identity is wrapped up in it, then do you lose your identity? Like, And yes. I know you're not saying anything bad about stocking shelves or working at it. Like, but the thing is this, no. your identity is now fixed, and so circumstances can't change what you know. Circumstances can't change who you are. You know what I'm saying? Yes, that's absolutely the truth. Um, so let's go, I want to fast forward a little bit to uh, some basketball uh, that you had been playing. And I don't. I solely. How old is solely when, when you you pulled the, the Achilles thing, or you you did the Kobe? Uh, just yeah, just over a year. So he was a year and two months. Mm-hmm. And um, how how was your 
is your diet still struggling at this point? Is the sleep apnea still uh, a little bit of a struggle at this point when you're uh, when you're yeah, out here? Hooping? It had become it had become a struggle again because Sarah finally made me get the sleep study three years ago, and and then I got the 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 mask, the, CPAP. the sleep apnea mask, the CPAP. But I uh, but then I got my tonsils out, and I thought that was end all be all cure to to my sleep apnea and I stopped wearing that mask. <laughs> and Sarah told me not to. She said you're still having apneas. I'm like, you don't know what no, you're talking I, about, girl. I, I, Let me I got my tonsils out. There's no way. I video recorded him again and yeah. the whole thing. God bless so you, I had Sarah. Back into <laughs> into that bad habit and and um and the diet was still bad, but I could never miss a Sunday playing with, with uh, with the boys, with some with the boys playing with you know with Tick Show, yeah, my people, and uh, some of our old Union peeps. Um, and I remember this this one particular Sunday, I was the one who needed to open the gym. Okay, just like. Just like Big Rich, just like you would do on Saturday nights for us to play ball till two or three in the morning. <laughs> so I had the key to the gym like you did. And I got there early for the first time in my life. If you ask Tick Show, I'm always strolling in ten minutes ten minutes late. <laughs> and and then I'm late because I always religiously stretch because I know I'm old and out of shape and even though I was playing ball once a week. That's the only exercise I was doing. So I was stretched, but I got here early. I got there early and I never get a chance to warm up and shoot around. So I was shooting around and time got away from me. Teams were picked and I didn't stretch. And um, I think that was a contributing factor, but it's, you know, Sarah, has other opinions. She's like, because um, you didn't stretch your one leg, your Achilles. Yeah. <laughs> the one time, the one day I didn't stretch, uh, and I was just. I've never stretched a day a in my life, uh, Russell. I don't think it's. <laughs> I've never stretched once. I don't think it's that was the problem, bro. <laughs> I used to. I used to get annoyed with uh, with guys that would stretch before basketball, and. I guess once I moved out to Colorado is when I started to. But you know who out. stretched a lot? Kobe Bryant and Kevin Durant, and they both tore their Achilles. I don't think it's yeah. the stretching, but <laughs> like that's, if it's if it's serious. part of the story, it's part of the story. You didn't stretch. That's cool. So you're hooping. I didn't stretch. I, so I'm hooping, and I wasn't doing anything explosive. No, no mid range J. That's your move. No yeah. running. No, no jumping. I literally was getting around a pick and I felt somebody like somebody kicked me as hard as they could in my calf. Well, actually what I thought, what it really felt like was someone hit me with a baseball bat in my back of my lower calf as hard as they could. But I knew no one had a baseball bat that was going to take me out. But I got up saying, who kicked me? Who kicked me? Who kicked me? The guy I was guarding or, <laughs> you know, the other guy was like, did you kick me? Did you kick me? And everyone's like, no, nobody touched you, dude. But it was such a severe hit. And I felt the pop and I heard the pop. 
and I have rolled my ankle so many times, this was a different pain. And I was wearing McDavid's ankle braces, which are like impossible to roll your ankle. But, uh, yeah, so uh, I uh, stumble over to a seat and lay down and uh, almost passed out, uh, went totally white and and uh, called uh, Mark Christensen. And Mark was like, try to, you know, put weight on your toes, uh, on the ball of your foot. And my foot just flopped to the ground like Ooh. like a fish. Oh, this is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so we knew... We knew it was a torn Achilles and, and um, Blair, Jeff Ticker's dad, Blair Ticker was like, all right, I'm calling 911. I'm like, no, that's the first time I said, no, nobody call 911. Nobody call anyone. I don't have insurance. That would not be the first time I would say that. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> we called, uh, we called Mark, we called Sarah to come get me and, uh, and Blair offered to, uh, take me to his uh, urgent care that he owns and he just told him to run his credit card and they put me in a soft splint and they didn't do it right they didn't do it the way mark told sarah to have them do it so uh, so sarah what did you think about this when you heard about this achilles thing were you just like what was your first I knew reaction he called me like 10 minutes after basketball started so as the phone rang, I was like, oh, crap, he hurt himself. I just knew it already. So I picked up the phone. I'm like, did you hurt yourself? He's like, yep. But when she got there, <laughs> you come get me. the first thing she was saying is, you know, since I'm part-time, I'm the the major caretaker for Sully, and I'm the one that takes him to daycare and picks him up. And Oh, yeah. So the first thing she was saying was, Oh, this is so frustrating. You're not going to be able to help with Sully at all for, you know, six months. And That's the first thing I said? Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> she's, she's like, how are we going to deal with Sully? How are yeah. we going to take him to daycare? And how are we going to pick him up? That was always your job. And, yeah. Um, you know, uh, that was fear again. Mm-hmm. Fear. And uh, we get the soft splint on. And the panic for me starts setting in with money hmm. because Blair had paid for for the urgent care. But I knew I needed surgery now. At least I thought I needed surgery. So we started researching surgery for the Achilles repair, you know, like six the grand. six to eight grand. And the first miracle was uh, all the basketball guys, there's a group of 20 of them, they all said we're going to pay for the surgery. Dang! Like they, I need to play ball with these guys. Well, I need to hang out with your friends, bro. Like, who are these people? I love them. I don't even. I know some of them, I'm sure, but man, I need to hang out with them. <laughs> the perks, yeah. and and I mean, so many miracles were already happening. Like one of the guys we ball with is is an insurance agent, and he's like, "I'm going to get you insurance." And Blair, of course, was a miracle. I'm going to get you into On Point, and they're going to run my credit card. And then they just all started texting me. Um, we're going to raise. We're going to chip in and pay for the surgery. Then they, you know, start sending me uh, gift cards. And I mean, they're just a great group of guys. But God was already 
working miracles that I thought was just to to help with with the Achilles. So uh, that was March twenty first, and I I had to stay home from work. I taught from home mm. on the internet uh, the next few days, and um, four days later, March twenty fifth. I was on the couch um, eating junk food. On the couch that you're sitting on right now? This couch, right where I'm and in the exact spot where I'm sitting right now. And out of nowhere, I had the most severe pain in my chest that I've ever felt in my life. Hmm. And I don't get heartburn, but I thought it was heartburn. I just started kind of rolling around trying to change positions. But this pain was pressure like an elephant sitting on my chest like an impending doom kind of pressure this was like wow. the worst pain i have ever felt in my life did did you sarah did he look any different um in the days come like coming up to this date yes yes weirdly enough i didn't really notice it uh it, until like looking back, I told him like he looked kind of gray the day before. I said I thought it was maybe just the lighting in the house. It was weird, and I was kind of looking at his face. And the day before this happened, his color in his face was like grayish, like not good. Yeah, that's this is the scariest stuff that when people end up having a big heart attack you look back and you're like oh like the week before or the few days before like your body is is like knows it's about to happen or is like not pumping enough yeah. but i don't know my wife is used yeah. to be a heart nurse and so she yeah. knows all about it but like with a with friends of ours um who worked at union where she had a heart attack a few days before that she was like not looking great. Um, were you feeling bad, Russ, or were you just did it? That morning, I I felt a heaviness. I didn't feel pressure, but that morning I woke up and it felt like kind of a ten pound weight was sitting on my chest. Hmm. It felt it felt heavy. But I got up, had to teach online. Um, still ate a bunch of crap, even though my. My chest was feeling like that. You're like, oh man, and, this hurts. Uh, Where is that ice cream tag? <laughs> I think I, I think the the last thing I had eaten before the heart attack was the thing I was stocking shelves was Oreos. Yeah, Oreos, mercy. Oreos, chips, and soda. I think is what was on the counter. Yeah, Oreos, chips, and soda. But yeah, so uh, I, I felt. A little bit in the morning, but March 25 at 2 p.m., this pressure was so immense, I f felt like I was going to die. And I couldn't get it to go away, so I stood up. And the second I stood up, I dropped to the ground like a ton of bricks. Um. And I started rolling around on the ground, writhing in pain. And that's when my left arm went numb, just stabbing 
feelings in my left arm and I didn't know what it was until that moment. I had seen enough movies <laughs> to know when your left arm goes numb and my hand went numb. I was like, oh my goodness, still in shock, rolling around on you the You didn't ground. know it was a heart attack until your left arm? Until my left arm. Uh, and I, while I was writhing around on the ground, I was just praying yelling out, God, deliver me, deliver me. I didn't know what was happening, but I knew I had to say those two words, deliver me, deliver me. But once once my arm went numb, that's that's when I really felt like I was dying. Wow. Like, this could be the end. I'm taking my last breaths. This is oh, when people drop to the ground from this type of heart attack a widowmaker heart attack. When they drop, they drop dead. My, my uncle dropped dead at his house from this heart attack. My grandpa dropped dead on the tennis court from this heart attack. And my great grandpa dropped dead from this heart attack. When people drop, they drop dead. And I felt like I was dying. So you have heart disease in your family. Yes. And I got that sleep apnea and the bad diet and COVID. Recently, I had had COVID. So it was the perfect storm. So when you're, when you're um, thinking like, this is it, I, I, I mean, I don't know. You, what is that like? That's the only best way I, I have to ask that question. I want to know what, what, like, what are you thinking? Like, are you, were you scared? Were you thinking of like, what was it? All I thought about was Sully. It was desperation. Desperation for more time with Sully. I said out loud, God, I've only been his dad for one year. God. And I looked over at a pile of his toys right here in the living room. And I said, God, give me more time with Sully. Give me more time to be his dad. This can't be the end where I've only had... One year with him, it was sheer desperation for more time with my son. And that's, he was all I was thinking about. So, uh, I, uh, I prayed that prayer. God, give me more time with Sully. And, um, I was able to pull myself back up on the couch after I prayed that prayer, but it was still immense, immense pain. And um, when I got back on the up on the couch, I knew I needed to call somebody, and <laughs> I decided not to call nine one one in in the middle of having a heart attack because I didn't have insurance. And, oh um, my gosh! I called Sarah. Uh, I looked at my phone, and in tunnel vision, all I saw was her name in red. So, like I had in my recent call, when I dropped the phone, it had opened up to my recent calls, my missed calls. Sarah's name was in red. I would later find out I had no missed calls from her. That her name should be in red, but it was tunnel vision. I saw red reached down, pressed her name, called her, and I told her all the symptoms. Uh, 
that I was um, having severe chest pain and sweating profusely and heavy breathing in the arm. And she's like, you're having a heart attack. She knew instantly. She knew immediately. And she said, I'm calling 911. And I said, no, don't. (laughs) (laughs) I stopped her. She was going to call 911. I said, no, don't. But, uh, you know, it's one of the funniest parts of the story. But honestly, Sarah and I both believe that uh, she was the best person for me to call. Um, Because she was out her office. uh, It was was a miracle that she even took my call. Because she's always in surgery or she's always with a patient. And in this one moment when I called, she was between patients and, I, and phone her was phone silent, but I saw was on silent. But, I saw him calling somehow. What? Yeah. Her phone was silent, but she saw me calling, came up on her phone. So it's just a miracle that she even answered. But Dude, I, I've uh, said she this. She was the best person. I've said this before, and I don't know what I'm more angry about. I'm, <laughs> I don't know if I'm angrier that you're like, don't call 911. Or that I know that that's exactly how I would be. Like, I don't know what makes me angry because because it's dumb. Okay, let's just call it like it is. It's dumb, and I know that I'm that dumb. But I'm like, I want to save my money, not my life. Like I like, um, and and so dumb to think. I always thought it would be ten or fifteen grand, and Sarah was like, no, it'd be two or three grand. So anyone listening. If you are in trouble, call 911. Yeah. It's not that much. <laughs> We've got a number for you. But I think 911. I got a number. Call it. Sarah, uh, talk Here's, to me about talk to me about getting this phone call. You say you didn't you're just sitting in you didn't it didn't ring. I mean, talk to talk to me about that whole Yeah, I looked over and I just saw like his face on the screen, you know, but I didn't actually hear it ring or anything and I was like, "Oh, it's weird. And then I realized like I had like five minutes till my next patient. So I just answered it. And I normally would screen his call. Even then I would be like, he knows I'm at work. Like I, I, it was unusual that I would have answered this call and I answered it. And the first thing he says is I'm having chest pain and telling me it's in his left arm. He's scared. And I'm like, Oh, what, how is this a call that I'm getting right now? My husband is 36 years old. Like I just was kind of in shock myself. But I told him, okay, this is bad. <laughs> I'm going to call 911. When he said no, he said, I need you to come here. I need to come here right now. And I was like, okay. So I, like my fight or flight hormones kind of kicked in and I just, I literally ran out of the building. I had more patients to see and I, I ran away. <laughs> and you're I not even away. really thinking of anything but just getting home. No, I was like, okay, I got to get there. I got to get there right now. I like literally sprinted out of my office, didn't really say anything to anybody, just left. And I got to the car. She she got into the elevator. Yeah, I got into the elevator and it dropped the call. And the call dropped. And that was a really special moment for me because in that moment when the call dropped, I was all alone with God and my breaths were getting shorter and I really, this, at this moment, I really felt like it was the end. Mm. And I said, deliver me one more time, but I couldn't even shout it out. I whispered, deliver me like thinking about David and all the times David uses those words 
in Psalms, deliver me, save me, and rescue me dozens of times. In almost every chapter, David says it, and those were the only two words. And I thought they were my last two words, Hmm. like a whisper of deliver me. And, you know, David always follows up with God came through, God delivered me, God rescued. Somewhere in the chapter, if you look for it, when he says God delivered me, later in the chapter in the next, he says, well, God came through and God heard my cry and God delivered me. And in that moment, when the call dropped and I was all alone with God and I said those last two words, deliver me. I felt the pain in my chest, worst pain of my life, completely subside. Hmm. It went away. And and I was like, oh, maybe this was heartburn. Maybe I just oh, ate a bad mercy. burrito. <laughs> <laughs> like that left arm pain was from too much yeah. jalapenos in the sauce. But it was, it was just shocking to me how I felt the most severe, intense pain of my life. And it went away and it was in that moment that I know God took over and he held my heart. Mm-hmm. He held my heart and he kept it beating because the widowmaker heart attack is a hundred percent occlusion in my case, a hundred percent blockage of your artery and your blood stops flowing. So at the very least, when people drop they go unconscious. Mm-hmm. They lose oxygen to their body and they lose oxygenated blood to their brain. And they, that widowmaker artery, the left anterior descending artery, gives your, your, your heart a beat and a rhythm and pumps blood. And when it stops, it sh- should have killed me. It's a 12% chance survival. Mercy. It's around 3 or 4% if you're alone. Mercy. Which I, which I was. And, in that moment when the pain went away, I know God held my heart and kept it beating. Wow. And there's no other explanation. No doctor has any other explanation. That's the only thing I know. It's the only thing I know that he held my heart and kept it beating. And uh, it's it's one of the greatest miracles in this story and, and one of the greatest miracles of my life or that I've ever witnessed, but it's, uh, my only explanation that he held my heart and kept it beating. And I think Sarah was the best person for the job because she was in her car and here seven minutes later. And how long I think of she a drive is it usually? Than- Eight or nine is oh, so it wasn't that much faster, but I did run a couple stop signs. <laughs> a couple stop signs. I did a California stop <laughs> on two stop signs. I uh, I rolled them. Yeah, yeah. I was I was watching. Were you were you freaking car, out, Sarah? Were you just like losing um, it, or were you just like got it? I got a job to do. No, I mean, what I think is, and I don't know if this is just me speculating or God's desire put in me, but. Uh, I was an EMT for a couple years before PA school, and I've had a lot of training. I had a lot of training in emergency situations as an EMT, and then um, in my job, I had to send patients to the emergency department all the time and was, like, familiar with calling the hospital about emergencies. So in this moment, my brain went to, like, EMT mode. I'm going to take care of 
an emergency situation. So somehow I was able to like laser focus and I'm like, did God give me the desire to be an EMT and all that, knowing that one day <laughs> I would be in charge all, of this situation? All her training, I don't know. All her training had prepared her for this moment. My <laughs> did you end up calling him back on the drive? I yeah. did. So as soon as I, I got off the elevator, I called him back and he and he was like, I think it's getting better. And I was like, what? OK, that's great. Stay on the phone with me. So I kept him on the phone until I got to the house. And when I get in the house, he looks bad. Oh, like no. I I thought like, OK, he's 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 OK on the phone. Like, just stay on the phone anyways. And then I get to him and he looks great. Like he is just pouring sweat. He looks scarily gray, like he already is a dead person, like zero color in his skin. I There's mean, no blood flow. He looked, he looked really bad. And in that moment, I was like, okay, he's, he's not okay. He's actually, like, he's legitimately having a heart attack. I knew in that moment, like, he's in trouble. And then I was thinking about the 911 situation again. At that point, I was like... I I have to get him to the hospital. At this point, I'm definitely going to get him there faster than calling 911. But in my mind, I'm like, I don't have a defibrillator. I don't have, you know, epi. I don't have anything that if he goes down, I had all of this fear and anxiety at that point, like that I didn't have anything I would need to help him. Plus, I had a torn Achilles. So, oh, yeah, and I said, Russell, I cannot carry you out So here. she's like, I can't you carry you. You have to walk. She said, Russell, you have to crawl to the door. Yeah. And, and you know, I, at, when she was on the phone with me, she's like, get up and get aspirin. And I, I could not get up and get aspirin. I was, like, sinking into the couch because the pain was, was coming okay. back. It was only for a few seconds that the pain subsided that God – held my heart. And the reason I know he held my heart is because Sarah would speculate later that the pain went away because I I was born with offshoot vessels called collateral vessels that could reroute the blood around this blocked artery because it was 100% blocked. But a heart scan 30, 40 minutes later would show I have zero collateral vessels. I was not born with any. So the blood stops 100%, 100% occlusion, and I'm still alive, and I never lose consciousness, and the blood somehow keeps flowing, and Sarah says, you got to get up and crawl to the door. I have this torn Achilles in a soft splint that was not put on correctly, <laughs> and those four days before the heart attack, I could not even toe touch without pain severe pain i got up i grabbed my crutches i did not have the strength to hold myself up on crutches i threw the crutches and i walked putting full weight on my torn achilles full body weight when i could not even toe touch before that i walked while having a heart attack on a torn achilles you better believe God was not just holding my heart, but he was carrying me and helping me walk to the door <laughs> so and out to the car. You've got like steps too. Like from your living room, aren't there like a couple steps up to the stairs yes. and then a couple steps. Steps, down? And then a couple steps down? Yeah, and I had to stop at the door because Sarah couldn't find the keys and I yelled out, 
your keys are on the bench. I told her where her keys were <laughs> while I'm having a heart attack, walking on a torn Achilles. What are I you doing, outside. Sarah? You're in the house and you're just trying to get some stuff to go to the hospital? Like, what were you doing? No, I we had traded vehicles. I was because his truck was a stick shift, uh-huh. and I couldn't drive. And he with couldn't drive Achilles. the stick shift, so he had my car. But his truck is so high; I knew there was no way he could get into the truck. So I, w- I was looking for my keys that he had put somewhere. Okay, so yeah. you grab those because I, I was going to have to trade vehicles to bring him to the hospital. So I hop in the back seat, and Sarah gets him, and she tears down our little street. Going sixty miles an hour, almost hits a truck. The truck's yelling, she's like curse words at us out the window. And she's not deterred. Her (laughs) training had prepared her for this situation, and we had to go through one of the heaviest construction in Parker to get to the hospital. And she was going through cones and running red lights, and I felt like I was fading, but I didn't feel like I was going to die. After the moment when the pain subsided, I knew God had it. I knew God was holding my heart and keeping it beating. So I didn't think I was going to die except from her driving. So (laughs) I was praying that we didn't die on the trip to the hospital because she was running lights, going through construction cones and taking blind corners. And I was praying in the car that we wouldn't die yeah. On the way to the hospital. But Sarah was saying, she said she must have said it 10 times. God, are you still here? This is what you're saying out God, loud, Sarah? Yes. Yeah, I said out it out loud. loud. Are you with us? Are you with us, Where God? Are you? Are you with Where us? are you? Oh, are you mercy. with us? Are you seeing this, God? Are you still here? And I didn't hear it once. I was just praying for us. Oh, man. And in that moment, I felt like when she told me later, I said it 10 times. In the ICU, I was thinking, I didn't hear that once. God was big enough for your doubts that day. And he gave you the answer to your question. God, are you here? Are you with us? Do you see this happening? Are you seeing this? Yes, God, he was with us every step of the way. Sir, were you waiting for an answer? Were you like... No. I was living in doubt already at that point. And I, I honestly, I saw the miracle happen. And for, for months afterward, I still was filled with doubt. So on the way to the hospital, you're like, he, God's not, he, he's not here. Like I've got to figure this out. It wasn't even much of a question. It was kind of like how, like, how is this happening? This can't be, this can't mean God is with me is kind of more of that type of a mindset. Unfortunately. Doubts. A lot of doubt. But God was big enough for her doubts that day. Did you call ahead um, to the hospital, like the emergency room, and like get some people outside? Yes, I did. I have, that's the hospital I work at. I have the ER number in my phone. That's her training. So I called him. I said, I'm a provider there. I have my husband in the car. He's having a heart attack. I need somebody to come meet me out at the front. I'm five minutes out. And they came and got him. And they, they cleared the cath lab. So, they they trusted me, thankfully. Because she called ahead of time. But uh, there was a guy with a scheduled. He was supposed to have a scheduled procedure, and there's only one cath lab in our hospital. Just one. And so he had been trying to get his procedure since like seven thirty in the morning, and there had been other emergencies that pushed him out. <laughs> with an eighty percent blockage and, um, in his artery, and because she called, yeah. when they I called, pulled they him moved off the him table. Out. 
to make room for Russell. Like, nah, fam, Russell's coming. We we got Russell on deck. It's not your turn, bro. Make way. Uh, we and, got and Russell, and the love muscle is at a hundred percent blockage right now, <laughs> and and his name is Russell the love muscle for a reason. You not the actual love muscle <laughs> yeah. is a hundred percent blocked. Uh, yeah, we need we need to figure this out. So that and that saved my life. That's another miracle on the list because if she hadn't called, he gets that surgery. There's only one cath lab. I could have died in the hospital. Just waiting. Just waiting. I don't think I would have because God had already taken my heart in his hands but but time is tissue and that was 40 minutes they 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 say you know if we can't get you in under 90 minutes that's dead heart tissue um so you know that that was another miracle just from her training to call ahead um and they start you know they hook me up to the ekg and um they say sir you're having a heart attack. And I'm like, thanks a lot for sharing that. <laughs> thanks, <with> Sherlock. <laughs> what what tipped you off? <laughs> what it's tipped you off? And they start shaving my wrist, which I have no idea why, but Sarah knows exactly what they're doing. And she says, how long till the cath lab's ready? And they said, it's prepped and ready now. right now. Mm-hmm. This like minutes, five minutes after I got there, we're taking him there now, but you need to say goodbye. Dang. So how was that, and Sarah? Did you know this was going on, Russell, with the saying goodbye, or were you just like, Jake, me in there, Doc? Yep. I never lost consciousness. I I mean, that's another miracle. I mean, I would have permanent brain damage. I could have had strokes. I could have had so much with no oxygen to my brain, but I never lost consciousness, even with 100% blockage of this artery. But, uh, yeah, they asked her to say goodbye to me, and she said, I love you. And you're the best man that I know. I was thinking, what do you say in one sentence to a man that means the world to you, you know? Yeah. And she had to then go wait in the waiting room. And then it became a waiting game for me. On the cath lab, they just kept telling me, we're waiting for the doctor. We're waiting for the doctor. The doctor's coming. And at this point, the pain is getting more and more intense and i'm thinking where the heck is this doctor i know this hospital parker hospital is not that big get this doctor in here mm. and uh she was at littleton hospital 30 minutes away she was driving 100 miles an hour on the highway to get to me but at this and point you have hope huh at this point i have hope i i never thought i was going to die you never lost consciousness. And I never lost consciousness. I, I've been thinking of that word hope because I was I would digress a little bit. I was just watching like I'm 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 really into nine eleven, like when because I was in high school, you know, we were seniors in high school when nine eleven happened. We were seniors. And so I watched this documentary on, on Hulu if anyone wants to watch a, the bomb documentary on nine eleven. And this guy is I think he's on the 85th floor and somebody comes to get him and his hope, the way he describes hope is so awesome. Like when someone, he heard someone's voice, he's like, I'm not going to die. I'm going to be reconciled (laughs) with my wife. I'm going to see my children again. I'm going to, and just hearing this cat's voice, he's like, I'm not going to die. And I think about hope and I think, 
like this definition you're like the knowledge that you're not going to die like as as those of us who are believers like i told somebody the other day i'm like i'm never going to die and they looked at me like well what if you're there's a chance that that you walk away like and i'm like no jesus said i was never going to die i'm never going to die like that's hope yes. and like that thing that's gets hope. you through literally everything because hope does not disappoint because you've been filled with the holy spirit you sounds like you've had this hope since the pain subsided when you're back at your house and you're like oh i'm not gonna die and so like even your mental game is sharper it's just like okay we're good i'm not gonna die and perhaps that that hope is what is keeping you like there and and with it and not not blacking out or or whatever it's just like well i'm not gonna die they just need to get here quicker you know what i'm saying yeah this just hurts but wow that is such a profound thought rich that is i i really believe i had a hundred percent hope when that pain subsided i was like god's got this God God answered my prayer. He heard my cry. He's going to deliver me and he's going to give me more time with my son. And I never lost consciousness and I never thought I was going to die after that moment. If if you lose hope and they've done like and this is studies of people in concentration camps or people that are being tortured, the people that believe that it's over, they die. They die quickly. Mm. And the people that are like that they hold on to hope, holding on to the fact that there's a chance that they're not going to die. There's a chance when you believe you're going to die, it's, it's like written on the wall already. And it's amazing that to think that it's the Holy spirit that put that hope inside of me. And it's God who answered the prayer and said, I, I see I I see you. Yeah, man. I I hear your cry, and I see the Holy Spirit is living in you, and the Holy Spirit has given you hope. Yeah. And to anybody who's listening to this, to anybody who's listening to this, if you're a believer in Jesus, you're never going to die. Never. Like you have eternal life. This is John three sixteen. This is John eleven. This is like when Jesus speaks, and he's like, "If you believe in me." You're you're never going to die. And then he asks, Do you believe this? And and I believe it. And so I'm never gonna die. And so I can lose a job. <laughs> I can lose a job. I can lose a, a a house, a car. Heaven forbid something happens to my family. I'm never gonna die. And you know what? They're believers, they're never gonna die. We might take a, a rest. You might rest one day for a few moments, but we're never gonna die. Yeah. And it and it may hurt. Yeah. So let me tell you, I was feeling severe, intense pain. It may hurt, but you're not you're not going to die. No, you're not going to die. So don't lose don't lose sight of your hope. So when does the doc show up? Like, were you you so were still the, the doc, uh, You're still aware when I, was it a he she 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 came? Um, she's someone that Floor has worked with. Uh, Floor was one of the people that Sarah contacted in the waiting room and uh, Floor immediately 
started running to the chapel at Littleton Hospital because she's seen this doctor in action. She knows she's awesome, but she's seen a friend of hers die on the cath lab table um, from this same Widowmaker heart attack. She knows time is tissue. She knows this doctor's good, but she's got to get there. So while the doctor's driving 100 miles an hour to me, floors running to the chapel pray to pray for me. Sarah's contacting everyone she can think of, but then Sarah has uh, her moment with with God where uh, I, I think she was bargaining with God. Yeah, what was that about, Sarah? And, uh, <clears throat> I was just pleading, like, like, I think I was making some empty promises, like, like if, uh, if you save him, I'll never forget how good you are. And just like a lot of those type of phrases that I was saying and crying out loud, like it all, all out of fear, hmm. everything that I said in that room and all of my emotions and all of my tears were, were revolving around the fear of losing Russell the fear of me dying. And it, it honestly didn't have anything to do with my faith. It's just I thought that's what I had to say to save him. But I was extremely afraid of losing him. Isn't it crazy how we try to convince God to love? It's yeah. like Sully. He's like, Mom, will you love me, please? Will you please love me? <laughs> <laughs> like, do you think that kid would never have to ask you that in a million years? And we think we have to ask God that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So she's there bargaining with, with God. And uh, and then I think after 10 minutes, the doctor finally comes in. She goes in through my wrist, up my arm, across my chest. She clears the artery, which was 100% blocked. She puts in a stent in minutes. And I'll never forget what she said next. She came up right next to my ear afterwards. And she, she said, now you have a second chance. Mm. Mm. And I had no idea how right she was, how true that statement was my, my second chance at life. Um, that was my, Death to life moment. Mm. God worked so many miracles to uh, to save my life, but I got into the ICU from there and realized if I'm not dead, then God's not done with Mercy. me. And that goes the same for all of us. If we're not dead, then God's not done. It was wasn't my death day. It was my life day. Mm. It was like I was born again. It was like I was made brand new. And <clears throat> I knew finally in that moment what it felt like <clears throat> to be set free from from death and from even from sin. I knew what it felt like in the ICU, what John was saying, that you will be free and free indeed. Um, and I felt like, I had been through through a fire 
like like Daniel's three friends. Mm. But what I realized in the ICU that I never realized before with my favorite story in the in the Bible, I always focused on either the fact that they said, we won't worship you, our God can save us, but even if he doesn't, I always focused on the phrase, even if he doesn't, or I focused on the phrase that God, or I focused on the part that God was, Jesus was in the fire with them. But in the ICU, my epiphany was that the only thing that was burned in that fire were their ropes. Wow. Not a hair on their head was singed. Mm. The only thing that was burned in the fiery furnace was their ropes that were binding them, that were holding them captive. And I felt my ropes burn off. Mm. Like I felt them, my chains, my ropes on a pile of ashes on the ground falling away. Um, So, yes, I believe in that phrase, even if he doesn't. Yes, I believe he'll walk through the fire with you, but I believe God, when we go through a fire, he can use it to burn off our ropes. And uh, whatever has been binding us or keeping us from living the lives that God created us for, keeping us from whatever's keeping us from the identity that he's given us, which is a son or a daughter. So right there in the ICU, Sarah and I started <clears throat> singing uh, Goodness of God together. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> I, uh, I looked up, looked up at the news that was on TV and I f- felt those ropes just burn away. Like, I don't care about, I don't care about the news. I don't care about what's on TV right now. I am just so grateful to be alive. I looked at the menu that they gave me that the only things I could order were the things with the little hearts by it. Completely different from anything that I've been eating till that moment. And I said, God, I am thankful to be alive to eat anything if it's healthy or not. And so I felt those ropes burn and fall away the rope my addiction to the news my addiction to food i just felt it falling away um god didn't just save my heart he changed my heart that day um so i uh was in the hospital for less than 48 hours and i came home with a $94,000 bill. <laughs> Not like uh, somebody gave you like a $100 bill, a $94,000 medical bill. There's a- <laughs> Medical bill, less than 48 hours. And that was going to be 100% out of pocket because I had no insurance at all. So to kind of get to the end here, um, to transition to Sarah, yeah. um, I... Felt like, well, I'm going to plague our, my family with debt for the rest of, of our lives. And I felt like, you know, this is just going to ruin us. And, and everyone was like, don't focus on the debt. Just, you know, just focus on getting better. And, and I knew God had changed my heart and he had saved my heart. 
But I was in tears thinking about how foolish I was for not having health insurance and what this was going to do to our family. And uh, Sarah went into the hospital a few days later and and met a, a friend of hers that works there that had a similar experience and a huge, huge bill for uh, her her kid, I think, mm-hmm. right? And she said <clears throat> the hospital uh, forgave this this debt, a giant bill like mine. And, and in that moment, Sarah had peace that, that I could talk to the right people that she could talk to all the right CEOs and, and everyone like would, they know her and they would forgive the debt at the hospital. And that's the way we thought it was going to happen. Sarah had peace about it. And I, I don't think I, I really had as much peace as Sarah, but Sarah said somehow, some way, I think this is going to go away. And she, she felt it was going to be forgiven by the hospital tax write off. Cause but she felt like it was something she was going to have to do. Right. You know, she was going to have to pull all the right strings mm-hmm. and talk to all the right people and it was going to work out. But she did have peace that, that God was going to take care of it. Uh, but we 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 felt like, well, we, we should uh, apply for Medicaid just to see what happens. And, and uh, you know, I, I make very little. I would definitely be approved for Medicaid. But we file our taxes jointly, so they have to look at Sarah's salary too. And we got denied. Mm-hmm. First time we applied, we got denied. We thought, well, they must be looking at your salary. So let's let's appeal and apply for Medicaid again. But Sarah had the brilliant idea in her appeal to apply for Medicaid disability. Why? Disability because of that Achilles, mm-hmm. <laughs> because that Achilles that I was griping about, and Sarah was so angry and frustrated. You're not going to be able to take care of the kid, and and I'm like, I'm not going to be able to play basketball, and this is the worst. And coming home from from the hospital <clears throat> in a boot and on a scooter, and we were just cursing this Achilles. We were like, oh, this thing. I fall off my scooter like every day. I was falling up, getting up that one step in my living room. <laughs> making his recovery, his was, heart attack recovery scary. Yeah, the him. cardiac recovery was impossible, but also I was falling and wearing this boot, and it was just, we were just cursing the Achilles. But Sarah had the idea to apply for Medicaid disability because those four days I couldn't work. And she wrote up the appeal. And just a few days before you were here, mm-hmm. Rich, a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. I found out that I had been approved for Medicaid disability because of the Achilles. And they were going to backdate it to beginning of March because the, the Achilles injury happened four days before the heart attack. So that means they are covering that $94,000 bill. Hmm. And I, my center of bill now is $2. (laughs) (laughs) And and you, you've got to see it to believe it. Can you hand me my phone? Because a $94,000 bill turning into $2 
two bucks is like, God, what are you doing here, God? Just, I'll just put it on your bill. Look at that. I don't know if you can read it. Yeah. <laughs> Bro, that's bills. crazy. Hey, if you, you need me to $2. pick that up for you, man, uh, uh, let me get that for you so you can get the whole miracle. I got, th- I got the $2. rest got put on God's tab. I'll put the two dollars on Rich's yeah. tab, bro. Look, so it, it it was it was in that moment when I had this stack of bills that I just started calling them and saying, "Please run it through my new Medicaid insurance through my Medicaid number," and then the bill would go away. And the bill would go away and I'd throw the bill in the trash. And it was in that moment where I felt like how God must feel when he forgives us of our sins and he casts them into the bottom of the ocean. I was throwing these bills in the trash, just crying and and holding my hands up to the heavens saying, thank you, God, for clearing the slate and and wiping the debt clean like you did for our, our sins. Just throwing it to the bottom of the ocean. You paid the debt. You paid the debt of my medical bill, but it was so much more powerful when I thought that's what you did when you paid the debt for our sins. It's gone. You wiped out the debt. And it was not something that I could have done or even that Sarah could have done. She was brilliant enough to apply for Medicaid disability, but it was God because I should have never, ever been approved with her salary. It was still a miracle that I got approved for that. Bro, this thing is, I don't want to belittle the miracle because it's a huge miracle, but I also want to point this thing out. And I'm just thinking here as you're talking, is $94,000, is it a lot of money? Yes and no, right? Because like $2 is a lot of money to John John, my son. He doesn't have it. He doesn't have, he's got nothing. He's got nothing. $2 is is a ton of money for him. And as I'm thinking about $94,000, I was watching YouTube yesterday. There are cars that cost way more than $94,000. Like $94,000 can get you a really, really nice car, but there's a really much nicer cars that are four, five times as much as that car. Like a a, a Rolls Royce Ghost is $450,000. So $94,000 is a lot, right? And in this moment, you come home from the hospital and you'll be like, yo, this mug is a lot. And then you realize the person who's paying it off Medicaid, right? Quote unquote. No, it's God, and that is not even that he can find it in his ashtray. Like, this is the thing. Like, he's the creator of the universe. And if we were to sit there and focus on the $94,000, it sounds like a lot, bro. And that's with any problem. Any problem is a huge problem if we don't have. The answers, if we or if we feel like we need to come up with the answers, and this is what we're talking about earlier. You're you're lying in bed and you're just like, I shouldn't have told them I wanted to go part time, and you're putting it all on yourself. Like this was all me. I put it all on myself. Like, and it's a big deal if it's on you because you're like John John with the two dollars. You don't got it. And then it's like. $94,000 to the creator of the Rocky Mountains, to the creator of 
name any beauty like he who formed you in his in, in your mother's womb he yeah, he's got it he, he's him. got it he's got and it. so if we're he focusing on a thousand hills. and if we're focusing on ourselves and like this is the thing and we hear it and we hear it and sometimes and that's we just need to hear it again if you're focusing on your problem you're not focusing on the problem solver and it's not you you're not the problem solver when you were on a car trip with your parents when you were a little boy and the car had damage and your mom and dad are like what are we going to do that you know the, the car's not going you were sitting in the back seat you didn't volunteer to get out and pop the hood and and look at it you didn't even worry about it right you're just like all right, y'all figure it out, man. I don't know. I'm four. You know what I'm saying? Like, Soli, Soli feels no pressure to cook for the family or to fix the car. That's who we are. And I'm just thinking about that. Yes, it's, and that's why I said I don't want to belittle the miracle, $94,000. Like, it's a miracle. And at the same time, he's got it. At the same time, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills and it's nothing to him. It's, I mean, and so we praise him for the two dollars. We praise him for the ninety-four thousand dollars. We praise him if that bill would still be yours. We're still praising him, like because him, he's even if he does. He, he's, yeah. but man, when I heard that last, the it, I just think it's funny, man. Like God's funny. It's funny, and then and he made me laugh one more time with one last miracle. Tell me about a it. month ago. I had my cardiac follow-up appointment. And uh, Sarah warned me that I will have these things called Q waves on my EKG for the rest of my life showing damaged heart tissue because I've had a heart attack. And everyone who's had a heart attack shows Q waves on their EKG. And um, the cardiologist hooked me up and ran it and said, when did you have a heart attack? Are you sure you had a heart attack? I said, I'm pretty sure. I said, I had a couple months ago. And she said, there are no Q waves on your EKG. It's as if you didn't have a heart attack. And God made me laugh one more time to say, not only did he erase my debt, he erased the heart attack like there's no evidence. I went 40 minutes with 100% blockage. I should have damaged heart tissue. It's like I have a brand new heart <laughs> physically and, and spiritually. There's no evidence that I even had a heart attack, like there's no evidence of our sin. If in, when he casts yeah. it down to the bottom of the ocean, he, you know, he, he took care of it. He paid the debt. He took on sin so that I could have a brand new heart. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. Like, you are not. Russell, the guy that has a bad heart because he had a heart attack because he didn't take care of himself and his, his family has a history of heart disease. You're Russell, new creation, son of God. The old is gone. The new has come. Yes. I believe it and declare it today. Bro. So. And then we uh, transition yeah. to. Well, well. Sarah never getting over this. Like, I mean, she, uh, I like her to share, but like, even though she watched God save my life and she watched the miracle, I don't think well, she ever well, Sarah, so took it in. You're, you're seeing all these miracles happen. Like, 
as you're sitting in the waiting room and the doc, the doc, I don't know how the doc comes out and tells you like, yo, I think it's going to be cool. What, what, what was that like? Like, when did you start calming down? Like, I'm sure your adrenaline was like going nuts. When did you start right then calming? Okay. Yeah. Immediately. I was, well, no, I didn't sleep for like two days. Like I was on a crazy adrenaline high for quite a while, but I, I felt like we were in the clear as soon as some, they sent somebody out to tell me the stent was in and that he, blood was he yeah, he had normal blood flow again and that he was going to be okay. And I was like, Oh, like in immediate relief, like, uh, grateful was the word I just kept saying over and over. And this whole time I was thinking of everything, you know, from a medical standpoint, like I, I knew the possible outcomes. I knew that this was a good outcome. And if it was not my husband, but any other patient, I would be like, I'm so glad that the, it was the best outcome possible. And, um, I would just be so happy for that family. So that's how I was feeling. I was feeling relieved and grateful and thankful and just so happy to have my husband with me, but I wasn't looking to the miracles as much as I was looking to all of the medical explanations of like the stent and all of that. When did you realize how big of a deal this thing was? Cause I, for me, I saw something on Facebook and I didn't think it was a big deal. Cause I thought it was something about Russell from like two years ago. And then my brother, Mike texts me and he's like, no, this happened this last week. And I'm like, no, it didn't. And I go on there and I'm like, yo, like this is, this is, this is happening. And it became like yeah. this super real thing where like, yo, Russell, like he's my age. What what the flip is going on? When did you like, like in the moment you're not thinking about how grand this thing is. You're just trying to get through it. When did you realize yeah. like when all these people start reaching out, like, yo, this is a big deal. Uh, I never I never really realized it until very recently. Um, I mean, that was the weirdest part to me is because I felt like there was something wrong with me. Like Russ even was like, I think maybe you should talk to a counselor. Maybe you just have like PTSD or something. You're not processing it. And I was like, yeah, maybe I should talk to somebody because this whole time, like I was waiting. I even wrote it down and I never journal, but I journaled like one entry during this entire event like in what I was saying in there was like, I'm still waiting to feel what it is I'm supposed to feel about all of this. Like I witnessed a miracle and I'm just not getting it. And here Russell is going out and telling his testimony to literally every single person he meets in Walmart and on the street. (laughs) (laughs) He is like shouting from the mountaintops about how God saved his life. And I am like sitting there at home, like what am I missing? How am I not reacting to this? How am I not feeling some type of way about the miracles that I have seen? And when is it going to sink in? When I I wrote down, like, I want to be brought to my knees, like, in awe or whatever I was hoping to feel. And I just felt really empty. I felt full of worry and anxiety. I felt empty. I felt doubtful for... A, while, a long time after his heart attack and before even. Do you, do you know what that was now? I do now. Yeah. So what, what um, was it? A lot of it was an identity crisis. Um, but really the root of it 
was something that um, you, Rich, actually helped me realize when we talked. Um, okay, so let's not jump to meetings. that part yet. So, so you're okay. through these through these months. You're saying that Russell's preaching yeah. this thing. I've seen him. I don't yeah. know how many times he preached on this thing, Russell. Maybe four or five times, three or four times. I don't know. But you're yep. seeing all of this yeah. going on, and yeah. you have like your husband has a new lease on life. You have your husband yeah. like. Um, but what's going, is it the same thing? Kind of just like, why am I feeling this way for a few months? Yeah. Why am I feeling this way? Why am I not like feeling the gravity of these miracles? Yes, I'm thankful to have him home, but why am I still so afraid? God saved his life and I'm so afraid trying to micromanage every drop of food that goes into his mouth because I thought that if he ate oil or cheese, he was going to have another heart attack. Like, I'm just like a, a mess. Were you feeling guilty <laughs> about it? Guilty? Um, about trying to control him? No, feeling guilty that you didn't feel some type of way. Oh, I did. Yeah, because it was brought to my attention by, you know, his sisters that came to visit and some of my friends that are like, oh, my gosh, are you just like a total mess, like crawl, like in a ball in the corner? Like, I don't know. They just all thought I should have reacted a certain way that I wasn't reacting. And so then I felt like something was wrong with me. Man. So then what? So so what happened after that as you're on this journey? I mean, honestly, I just lived in that. I lived in the fear and the anxiety. Um, I was fearful about a lot of things. I had a lot of anxiety about my son as well. Um, one of my greatest fears since I got married was that Russell would die. And so, like, I knew his family history. I knew his lifestyle. And I told him I thought maybe someday he would have a heart attack if he didn't if he wasn't careful and I but I thought that was going to be in his 50s or 60s like his other relatives I did not think it was going to be at 36 years old and I would always think like um like irrational fears if he if he goes to a hot tub at night alone because he would like that was his favorite thing to do he'd go to a hot tub and stay in there for like an hour I'm like if he overheats and passes out Nobody's there and he's going to die. Or if he didn't call me after he was on the road for a while and he was supposed to call me, that meant he obviously had gotten in a car accident and had died. So, like, I had these rational fears of him dying. And then that kind of translated in after we had Sully uh, of thinking he wasn't safe all the time. Like I just constantly was on edge that he wasn't safe. And if I wasn't perfectly watching him at all all times, he was going to die too, because I would drop the ball and he would do something dangerous and it would be my fault. Like there was a lot of crazy fear and anxiety controlling my life. In the natural, that's kind of what we were talking about earlier. This is how a lot of people live. Mm -hmm. A lot of people who love the Lord, uh, and I was I was just talking to somebody this last week who was talking to me. They're like, yeah, I live in complete fear. And they weren't like, mm-hmm. this isn't like, they weren't like, yeah, I don't want to live like this. This is just like, no, this is, this is the life we live now, you know. It's just- <laughs> and, you know, complete fear. And I'm sitting there and there were other people around. So I couldn't really go in and be like, this is not it. But it just yeah. made me believe like, 
Like what you're saying, so many people live in this fear, but they just think that that's what life is and that they have to live like this no matter if they are followers of Jesus or not, that just life is like this and you have to have some kind of fear because it will it mm-hmm. will keep you alive. You know, some fear is good. And, and uh, so did you feel like, you should be living like this or did you feel like, ah, this is, it is what it is. No, I was uncomfortable with a lot of my anxiety. I, I, it didn't feel good. I didn't want to feel that way. Like Russ would tell me like, you don't have to live this way. When we go out with the baby, you can just like relax and have a good time. Like you don't have to be constantly anxious about something happening to him. And, and I would watch how Russell handled the baby and he, he was just so calm with him and, and it was the same environment, but his demeanor was so different than mine. And I, uh, I wanted that. I didn't want to be feeling the way I was feeling. So when I'm in Denver and we're at church, I don't know how long it's been since I've seen you, Sarah. It, it might have been so, years, years and years. Probably since you yeah, guys left Lincoln, like two thousand eight. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there's something about like when when your life has changed, you want everybody to know about it. You want the rando in Walmart to know about it. But then you see people that you've known. <laughs> you see people that you've known, and um, you 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 want them to get this thing because you know them, you love them. And so uh, when Russell came on my Bible study, like I know Russell, I want Russell to receive, like my life has changed. I, I don't know if he knows that I'm different, but I want him, I want him to understand the same thing that I'm understanding. So I have a hard time not looking at somebody like when like someone's preaching gospel, like I'm like, uh, do they understand this? Are they, are they getting this? Like, because like the gospel is so powerful and it, it's, it's different. It's better than what I had heard before this, this thing. And so when I'm in Denver and Russell's up there and he's giving his testimony and I'm just praising God and you're up there and you're playing the piano and out of the people that were there, there was a bunch of new people that I met that I'd never met before. And then there's a few people that I'm like, okay, I know Russell and I know Sarah and I have a hard time not watching to see if it's resonating because I desperately want people to receive God's love and like, and really see like, yo, God loves me. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I don't know if you could tell, but I'm like you and Russell are the people that I know. And I'm kind of like seeing you in this meeting and I'm kind of watching you just to see, is this resonating? And I don't know if it was like I talked to you Friday night. I think was it Friday night? Mm-hmm. It was Friday, Friday night. Yeah. When, as you're hearing Jonathan, he had spoken the night before. As you've heard some kind of I don't know what you'd heard about love reality or anything. I honestly hadn't heard much. Okay, so when you're hearing him preach, and you're hearing what yeah. he's talking about, was there something different? And like, how were you receiving the message from from what he was saying about freedom from sin and Adam one, Adam two, and and these different things? Um. So there was one night before, like Thursday night, I came, mm-hmm. and 
I was receiving it like I was in a lecture. Mm -hmm. Like, this is really interesting information. Like, I'm going to try to go study this later and see if it'll sink in. And I was like, this is really interesting stuff. Like, I really like how it's being presented and it's a way that I haven't heard of it before. So I, in, in the, in the moment, I feel like I was really receptive to hearing it because I wanted, I wanted my circumstances to change. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to be receptive to somebody telling me truths about God's word. And so I, I think I was there open-minded, but I wasn't really seeing how it translated into my life Mm -hmm. necessarily. Like, in the moment, at the time, they were saying, like, you know, um, free from sin, what are the sins you need to confess of and all that? And I was thinking to myself, like, ha, 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 like, I don't have that many sins. Like, I don't have any addictions, and I'm a good person. And so it was one of those lies of, like, I'm good enough. I am good enough. Mm-hmm. I'm a okay Christian that I don't have – I don't need maybe – personally need this message as much as other people need. That was one of the lies that I hmm. was believing. Okay, so you tell me what happened, because I can tell you from from what I saw, but you go ahead and tell me your experience. I would love to hear it from your <laughs> perspective, too, because I've never heard that. But um, So Friday night, I can't even remember what uh, my original question was, and I was thinking about a lot of stuff, and I, things were starting to sink in a little bit more. And I was standing in line. I wanted to ask Jonathan something, but he was talking to somebody else. I'm just standing there kind of like awkwardly waiting. And here you come. You're like, hey, how's this all resonating with you? I think something like that. And I was like, I don't know. Like, I just have a lot of questions. And you're like, well, just come. You can come talk to me. And I was like, "Ah, okay, it's rich. (laughs) What do you know about sorry, Rich? rich but, like Rich, but old Rich. I just, you know, I we were never friends. I knew who you were, but I didn't really like you that. Much. <laughs> no, I can't blame you. Old Rich in 2007 was very arrogant. No, and it just turned off to me. <laughs> I'm so sorry. If anybody's listening but to this I, podcast, I they're did. shocked that you just said that. <laughs> No, they've heard it. You just weren't weren't like the my friend choice for sure, at the time. For sure. I'm sorry. No, no, like <laughs> so, that's who I was. I mean, I didn't know a lot about you. I didn't know a lot about this message and where you at where you were at and all that. And so at first I was just like, ah, oh, fine, okay. Well, Rich is not the person I was hoping to talk to, but I'll talk to him. <laughs> I did not know that at all. So that's cool. Yeah, that's what I don't think it would have bothered me anyway, but that was good. <laughs> But then you literally just start laying down some truths to me and my brain is like popping open and I'm just like, what? Like, these are the exact words that I needed to hear at the time. And it was something so simple. Like you said, it so nonchalantly. I said, my, I finally said the question to you, what if Russell had died? And you said, yeah, what if Russell had died? And I was like, well, I just felt like, And I told Russell this, I felt like I would lose my faith. I felt like when I was sitting in all of this space for all those months wondering why I couldn't get this, it was because 
I felt like my life would have been over when Russell's life was over and that if he died, I would have lost my faith. And you were like, well, that means that your faith was in Russell and not in God. And I was like, huh? <laughs> like, it just was like the most simplest way that you said it. And in one sentence, I was like totally like destroyed inside. Like, that is the truth. That is the truth. And then I started thinking about where this started. And it started before we even met. And how I had begged God, I had been through some bad relationships and I had begged God for a man that would be a spiritual pillar in my life. And I said, that's who I need for me to walk this walk. And so I need a man that's going to be strong and, and keep me in my faith. And he gave, God gave me that man because I believe that was, you know, also his desire for, for me. And I just rode on Russell's faith our whole marriage. Hmm. I went to church because he went to church and I played music up front because he played music up front and I, you know, went to a Bible study because he went to a Bible study and I never did any of it because of my own faith and my own relationship with God. And I felt like I was a good Christian just, but I was just following him around. Like I didn't really have the desire to do any of that on my own. And if Russell was gone out of town, I would skip church. I wouldn't go if he didn't go. I just, I was never standing on my own two feet. And so the realization with you that day was that I had been idolizing Russell and putting my faith and my peace and my joy and all of that in, in him, which number one, wasn't fair to, to make him be all that for me, but also because I was leaning on him so heavily when he fell, I fell. Hmm. And if he died, my faith died. And I just realized in that very moment that that's what I was doing and what I wanted to turn from immediately. Like, I went home saying, I have, I have to have my own faith. Like, I today, starting now, I, I believe in God and I... And I want to stand in this on my own. And I don't want to lean on anybody else to tell me, you know, how to have faith. And that was like the first time in all those months that I just felt like the anxiety went away. Like I just had peace. Okay, so help me connect it. Because like when you say you're destroyed by this fact that you're like, oh, I've made my son and my husband an idol in my life. Yeah. And yeah. this is, by the way. Not to make you feel better or not. This is just, this yeah. is what happens all of the time. Parents make their kids their idols. They're not okay if their kid is not okay. Um, yes. If their kid is, like, this is what, this is what makes parents get everything out of the way for their kid. And sometimes it's not even about the kid. It's about their own anxiety. If their kid has no mm -hmm. problems then they don't have to be anxious. If their kid has problems, mm. well, then I have problems. And so I'm not trying to say, oh, it's fine to be like this. I'm just saying, like, this is a tool that the enemy uses very successfully mm -hmm. in mothers, mm -hmm. parents, fathers. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so what was the connection from this is what I'm doing, I'm making my husband and child an idol to oh, now I'm able to have faith in, like, God is enough 
for me to not make my husband and son an idol? I think it was just the realization that I couldn't have a life founded on those people. Hmm. Like I, I knew that I didn't want to have like my joy and my peace and my hope in people because I was so shook when Russell almost died that I realized like if, if that's all I have, then what do I have when these people eventually leave me, you know, or I'm live constantly living in this fear of them dying. And, and if my worst fear comes true, then what then I have no faith and I'm just like roaming around aimlessly, you know what I mean? And I'm, I'm sad and I have no hope and no peace. And so I think, first of all, I felt peace, which was a feeling that I wanted to cling to. And I knew that it was coming from the Holy spirit and, and, that was outside, like that piece that surpasses understanding. It was outside of anything that I had experienced in a long time. And so I, I knew that what I was looking for was this peace in a relationship with God that I hadn't had up until that point. Really. I mean, I had a relationship, but not really on my own. And I think what I said, and I, was, I don't remember everything, but I think, I think I was being kind of raw. I, because sometimes I just say things that are just black and white, and I'm I it's because I think a certain way and I say it, and sometimes people are shook because it's, it's just too raw. But I think I said, Sarah, yeah. it if this is about you, like God has actually given you the ability that it's not the ability He's loved you so well that it doesn't have to be about you. It can now be about your son and Russell because mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. if if you say Russell I need you to live it isn't actually about Russell okay. it's it's about you being yeah. okay it's a, yeah. and so I need you to do all this for me to be okay and and this is how I lived my life I needed my wife and I thought I had loved yeah. my wife but I actually needed my wife and when I said mm-hmm. like Sarah, you don't actually need Russell because you've been loved perfectly. Perfect love casts out all fear. Like you are enough because he says you're enough. You're enough because he lives in you. You have every good thing. You and I are are no different. You have the same spirit that I have, the same spirit that Mm -hmm. Russell has. And now you have the privilege of loving Russell and loving your child Mm -hmm. and actually not needing them. And I don't, I think that was something like, because unless we're loved, unless we're loved, we can't love, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you also said we get, I get the privilege of loving them here on this earth and they are a gift to me, but they actually belong to God. Hmm. They're not mine to keep. And so I, I get to live in this place where I, I can thank God daily for another day, another day gift of loving them but at the end of the day they're not mine to keep or to lord or to have or to control like they're gods and that was pretty powerful for me as well yeah and that was just allowing me to be able to trust god more and just kind of let go of the just the the worry and the all of the fear that i had been because the drowning the anxiety 
that we're feeling is we are willing something in our mind not to happen. I have a, there's a better word for it, but you're just, you're just like resisting. That's the word. Like a thought of your husband or child getting hurt and you're Mm -hmm. using Mm -hmm. mental power to resist that thing. And it's so tiring, but we don't know we're resisting. We're just like, Oh, I just Mm -hmm. don't. But, and it's called stress, worry, and anxiety. And it's just resisting all these bad things because you don't even want to think about them because there's such horrible thoughts and you're like, oh no, what if it happens again? What if he eats some butter on that bagel? And oh, what if he, and it's like resist, resist, (laughs) resist, resist. And God's just like, rest, 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 rest. But there's got to be able to, there's got to be a reason why we can rest. It's not just that he says to rest. Is there's yeah. got to be a good enough yeah. reason to rest. And there's, <laughs> we can go over the reasons. We're never going to die. We might take a nap. We're holy, righteous, blameless in his eyes. We're reconciled to him. We stand holy, blameless in front of him. The level of righteousness that we have is Jesus's righteousness. So we couldn't be more righteous than we are. We are reconciled to our father. We are back like like it had never happened. Our sins are as far as from east to the west. We stand completely forgiven for everything we've ever done and ever will do. Like there's a like perfect love is like, I did all this for you, Sarah, before you even asked me to do it. You were dead in your sins and transgressions when I did it. And now that you believe that I sent Jesus and he was a man and did die, but also did resurrect and he died with your sin, he became your sin and didn't resurrect that, and that you died with him, and now your life is hidden in Christ with God, like, like that, all of that truth is just like, this is enough for you to be perfectly loved, and so you can stand in front of God with boldness, so you don't have to be afraid of anything ever in your life. Like, that's enough, yes. right? Mm. Yes. Mm. Because... That is enough, and that's where that divine peace comes from, is believing that doesn't matter that there's a pandemic and all of that. You just walk around with a peace and hope of knowing those things. Because they're true. Yeah. Like, if if they're not true, then all of us need to fend for ourselves. Like, if it isn't yeah. true, there is no hope. if it isn't yeah. true, like, you do need Russell and your son to be okay. Yeah. And you better hold on to them for dear life. Mm-hmm. Like, if it isn't true, I don't even know. Like, if it isn't true, we're all just done for. I don't even, I don't, like, but praise the Lord. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's, I think it's true. I think he's done, he's done it. I think, yeah. I think he's done think enough. So. Um. So that night. And you're talking. Go ahead. Sorry. I was saying, you, you're talking about feeling fully loved. And I think you did tell me that that night, but I didn't feel that for a little, like a couple weeks afterward, because still like this whole time, like I was, I, I recognized that I had made them my idols and that I wanted to have my own relationship with God, but the feeling personally loved didn't happen immediately for me. I, um, 
I was thinking about things for, I mean, my brain was flooded with thoughts and I was praying for clarity from the Holy Spirit for a few weeks and getting all of these insights. And for the longest time, I just believed that God loved Russell more than he loved me hmm. because he was more faithful than me and he had a good prayer life and he he asked God to go with him every day and I didn't and I totally forgot to pray most of the time. And I don't know. I just thought there was like somehow this pedestal that Russ was on in his spiritual life and that God would listen to him more than he listened to me. And so when I thought about the heart attack, I kept thinking, God saved Russell's life because he loves him so much. Like, what an answer to prayer because God, because Russell asked God to deliver him and he delivered him because he's so faithful and he, he listened to his prayer and his cry and, that's amazing. And I just thought that that was the truth. And then as I thought about it more and more, I realized that was not the truth. <laughs> like, <laughs> man, God, God loves me as much as he loves Russell. And it took me so long to see that. Like, Russell's faithful. If he had died that day, he would have taken a nap and woken up to his father. And that would have been the best gift ever for him. I believe now that God saved Russell's life to, because he loves me and he gave him back to me in a time where I was so vulnerable thinking that I might lose my faith. He gave him back to show me that he loves me and I was able to hear some of the, the truths that I was missing and had the opportunity to strengthen my faith that I may have lost. And in saving Russell, he actually saved my faith. And it just hit me like, he loves me. He loves me just as much as he ever loved Russell. And man, that's that's the most important truth. What was the lie that was keeping you from believing that he loved you? It was about that your I, performance? That I doubted. I think it was about my doubt. That complacency. I, complacency in my faith and <clears throat> doubt that I just struggled back and forth with even questioning sometimes if God was real. To be honest, you saying I, uh, you saying that out loud, like yeah. two months ago, you would have never yeah. said that out loud, but you were th thinking it and believing it, right? To, yeah. But you would have never said it out loud, and now it, never because I was so involved in the church, but I was doing it like a zombie would do it. Like I was just going through the motions of being a good church person. I just didn't do it for the right reasons. I did it because that was what my family did and because I had good standing in the church and that was my identity, I guess, if you want to call it identity. But even, even if two months ago I would have said, Sarah, do you believe that God loves people more based on their performance? You would have said, no, I... I don't think so. I, I, I know God loves everybody. You yeah, I probably would have said that. But what you were believing was based on your feelings, and you felt that you hadn't performed well enough, that you hadn't shown yeah. enough faith, that you hadn't your For prayer life. For God to life. answer my prayer when, I was when we were rushing to the hospital, I didn't pray a prayer of faith in that moment like Russell did. And so, Because I didn't think God would reward my faith as much as he would reward Russell's. And so we get it twisted around, and it always mm -hmm. becomes 
about how much we love God rather than how much God loves us. And yeah. and if Russell would have died, <laughs> I guarantee yeah. this is what people would be saying. Oh, Russell's going to be in heaven. Russell loved God so much. Russell had so much faith. Russell's going to be in heaven. We'll see Russell soon because he's going to be in heaven. And I would be sitting there listening to it. And I'd be like, yeah, Russell's going to be in heaven, but not because of what you're saying. Russell's going to be in heaven because God loves Russell. Russell's going yeah. to be in heaven. It's about how much God loves him. And if Russell wow, loves yeah. God, it's because he received God's love for him. It's not because Russell yeah. loved God enough so that God loved him. Like we get it yes. twisted and backwards. And Sarah, you're going to be in heaven. You have eternal life. And it's not because of how much you love God. It's because God loved you first. Mm -hmm. And that love has now awakened your love. And there's nothing you can do about it. Now, like you've been loved well. And so you're just yeah. like, yeah. And that's how it works. This is First John chapter 4. This is why we love, because we were loved first. If we don't know we were, we, we don't know we're loved, we can't possibly love, because the reason we're yeah. loved, I mean, the reason we love is because we were loved first. Yeah. Yes. It's never about us. We're just, we just get to be loved, and then everything yeah. else that manifests from that is, is because of we were loved. That's the hardest part for most people is, is to be loved. Yeah. Is to accept and believe that you just are, that you just are that loved. And that was, I think maybe my sticking point too. And, and when you finally feel, feel loved, it's like, that's the life changing moment. You can't go to church enough or be brought up in the church or read the Bible enough or pray enough to actually believe it for yourself and feel loved. And once you do, you just, you can't unfeel it. Like, there's no going back. Yeah, because it's, it's not based on a feeling. It's based on truth. This is what he did, and I was dead while he did it. I was in the middle of my sin while he did it. He didn't wait for me to get it right. He didn't wait for me to have enough faith. Like, in the car, yeah. he, he, he wasn't like, well, yeah. if Sarah figures this thing out and, and knows that I am good, then maybe I will bless. <laughs> <laughs> right then maybe i'll save us but we, we don't get it and and this is crazy because the next day um we did like a marathon session at at the church we like right after potluck like i started telling my story and then jonathan went and it might have been like three hours but in between the 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 second and third section this woman comes up to me and she's like I believe this. I believe this. What do I have to do? And I said, be loved. Be loved. And she looked at me like, like she wanted me to tell her what action did she need to take next oh, to receive yeah. this thing. And I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, just open your hands and, and be loved. <laughs> and, you believe? Yeah, and, and she didn't really know what to do, but tears started streaming down. And this woman, uh, she was at least in her mid sixties. Tears started streaming down her face because she didn't know that this whole thing was like God just wants to love us, and that mm -hmm. love is more than enough to transform us. 
How do we not know this? Because of the How lies. I've been in the church my whole life and not know this. Because the enemy's on it's scholarship so too. The enemy doesn't it want is. you to know it. Like it's his whole goal for you not to know it. Like you don't have to, don't feel bad. Like he doesn't want you to know it. That's his main goal. That's why. Mm-hmm. So he lies. Mm-hmm. And it starts off with hurt put on from people. And so we own that hurt. Lies put on by, you know, someone, you know, marks on you. Like you don't believe you're good enough. He puts a thought in your head that you don't look like that person or you don't have that grade or you don't have that car or you don't have this. And so it just chips at you and chips at you. And then soon enough, you don't, you don't even need anybody else to say anything negative about you because now you're just believing any negative thought that comes in your head. It's default for you to believe it and own it. And he just lies and he lies and he lies. And meanwhile, this thing is just like, it's, it's life changing and transforming, but we don't, we don't read it anymore because we're just, we haven't been reading it. And if we haven't been reading it, we're feeling guilty and there's more lies, more lies, more lies. Cause of lies. And then what, that's what our job is now. That's what, and it's not like a job. It's our privilege to go. Like, I didn't go up to talk to you because like, I felt some like, man, I got to go talk to Sarah now. Like, Oh man, I got to record this podcast. I got to tell people about the You ever hear a, a a sermon where a pastor is trying to get people riled up to to go out and talk to people about Jesus? He should probably scrap that sermon and actually preach about Jesus and the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done would be enough that people would get so lit that they would go and do it. You'd have you'd have to actually teach lessons on on how to do it with discernment and stewardship rather than to teach them to do it at all. Like that's what the gospel will do. And so when I'm coming up to talk to you, I'm not boasting. Like this is just me being loved enough and loved so well that I'm like, man, I hope Sarah understands this thing. I hope Sarah understands this thing. And I saw you and it didn't like everything you said you were feeling like we could tell. And so I just want you to, I just want you to be loved by God. Like, and that's why we do it. That's and that's why you do it. That's why Russell does it. That's why like we can't help but to do it now. You can't help it. Yep. They don't have to yep. teach us how to do it. Now they have to teach us to be like, okay, use discernment, use wisdom. <laughs> don't just go off and be crazy. Like this is how Paul says, if we're in our right mind, it's because God is keeping us there, but because we, we're crazy about this thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's changed me for sure. I mean, every day I know that it, I'm different. And I've, I've been able to talk to quite a few friends of mine that I never, I never would have said anything before um, because I'm, I'm just a very kind of, meek, I guess, person, or I just, I'm not confrontational and I never want to say the wrong thing or make any situation awkward. And now I'm just like, man, let me tell you (laughs) something that I learned. And I have just spoken some truth to some of my close friends. And I've even offered to pray with some of my friends, which previously was very uncomfortable for me. And now I just feel like the words just come out of me. And that's, that's only from God. One of Sarah's friends, Living, was living in constant fear of her son 
getting hurt hmm. or dying. Or it was the same thing Sarah was in. And Sarah spoke this truth into her and watched the tears just pour down her face and peace come over her. As soon as Sarah said the words that you spoke to her, that the Holy Spirit spoke to her, mm-hmm. that your son isn't yours. It's a gift from God and your faith cannot be in your son. She received it. And Sarah has been able to speak up front at, in church. Mm. She never, ever has. I've asked her for years <laughs> and people are receiving truth from Sarah. People are texting me after church saying, how come Sarah never spoke before? She needs to speak every time. And <laughs> just being so blessed by, by her, her testimony, and I've watched a complacent faith, a complacent prayer life turn into a fiery faith and just on fire. And I've watched her anxiety disappear. Mm-hmm. Do and you feel like I'm loving you better? Yeah. Do you feel like I'm able to love you better? Yes, unconditionally without fear, Mm -hmm. without fear. And the fear has disappeared. The anxiety's disappeared. And, you know, I believe God took that away from me because I had anxiety, uh, severe anxiety uh, for a long time. And I came to in the ICU, came into the ICU and... That was another thing that was gone. I have not felt anxiety in six months. Uh, six yeah. months tomorrow. Tomorrow, six months ago. So I, I felt my anxiety fall away, and Sarah saw it, but she still had so much anxiety. I've watched the anxiety dissipate. Mm-hmm. So this is I've watched her speak truth. It's a privilege to talk to people now, huh? Like no one has to tell it you is. to talk to your friend about that thing with it was it's just a privilege, right? No, I want I'm like eager to. Like let me share this with you that could potentially change your life, you know. Mm-hmm. Like like it changed mine. So Sarah, what would you knowing what you know now if you go back to whenever these lies started for you that like your performance is the thing that decided how much God loved you. I don't know where that was, where, whether it was in a a bad relationship or as you're married to Russell and you're comparing yourself and your spiritual life. uh, What would you tell old Sarah and just say, Hey girl, like what, what would you talk? What would you say to her? Knowing what you know now. That I would just tell her, like, you are worthy of love. And there's nothing you could possibly do that would take away your worthiness. God loves you as much as he loved you the day you were born, as much as he loves you now, the, as much as he loves you the day you did your worst act. He loves you the same. Yeah. And you just get to live being loved and being his daughter. And there's nothing you can actually do on this earth to change that. You can't be good enough. You can't work hard enough. And you can't, you can't 
be anything to to be worthy. Like that's what I wish I had known growing up. Hmm. And that any time that I feel like I'm not worthy, that's a lie. And that the things that keep me from from seeking him out are not truths about me. You don't need to rely on. Yeah, and that I don't need I don't need the people in my life to be okay. And I don't know. I, there's just a lot of so many things that I believe for my whole life that aren't from the truths of His Word. So this is like I said earlier. This is the the 48th episode. We're gonna chill out for a little bit. I'm so happy that this episode is not like any. I mean, the stories are all crazy different. But at the end, it's all the same thing. And that is when somebody was loved, and God has always loved us, but when someone receives his love, that's when lives are changed and that's when lives are transformed. And you guys have been loved well and you've received this love and all that's going to happen from this is just more. More testimony, yes. more love, more. I think that's what I said to you, Russell, when I left your house. I was just like, it's just going to be more, big dog. It's just more. Like, we don't know what it's going to, and you had an idea. You're like, oh, Rich, it's going to be this, and it's going to be this. And, and I'm like, like, let's not worry exactly what it is, dude. Like, because then, then we might get disappointed when our, but like, it's just going to be freaking more. And, yep. Like, you said that to me, and I, received it and uh and a month later i'm the youth pastor at my church yeah and and i'm sharing this with you and next week we are preaching this our testimony in new zealand for new zealand um and we'll share it with everyone we meet wherever we go for the rest of of our lives as long as my heart is beating. Yeah. And then and then when uh, we're all in heaven and and the bunch of or back here on the new earth and some people that didn't experience this world come by, we'll get to tell them the story of uh what Jesus did for us, man. That that'll be awesome. That's surreal. So, hey, thank you guys so much. Um that wasn't 15 minutes. You were right, Rich. This is the okay. This is officially the longest podcast. Uh, oh no! This is we, everyone was saying death to life. It's just it's awesome, but it's so long. And now we became the longest. Dude, one. if okay, listen, man. I don't know anybody who actually listens to this thing that complains about the length. If you do complain about no. the length, miss me and don't call me and tell me. Oh, I do complain about the length. No, because. No, man, when we got to tell the story, man, and like to do it justice, sometimes Absolutely. it takes some time. And this one's almost three hours and I don't care. And I'm about to upload it right Absolutely. after I, I get off this thing. But no, man, I love you guys. Uh, thank you so much for sharing love this story and this rich. testimony. Like like we just said, it's just going to do more, more, more love for people. So thank you guys. Yeah. God is so good. Absolutely. Love you, big rich.
finna go shoot Can't stop till we make it to the moon It's too late, can't stop it, it's a boom No, I cannot wait till you approve I got people with me on the other side Spirit on me too bright, I see they tryna ride Coming out for the night, yeah, it's that come alive Coming out for the fight, yeah, we stay alive We stay alive, ayy Ayy, ayy, put your hands down Ay, we ain't coming questions, yeah, we bend down Creed, I am Adonis, watch the hands now We're from thinking bro to living rich now Ay, busting with the twos, you watch me slide now Ay, she look kinda bougie and she bad now Ay, mama think I made it, is you proud now? Ay, ay With the spirits trying to play with me Ain't finna go shoot Can't stop till we make it to the moon It's too late, can't stop it, it's a boom No, I cannot wait till you approve I got people with me on the other side Spirit on me too bright, I see they tryna ride Coming out for the night, yeah, it's that come alive Coming out for the fight, yeah, we stay alive We stay alive, ayy